Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. So you knew coming into it, I certainly did. There weren't a whole lot of things I could predict about today. One of them was that it would be probably gray because it's January. The second would be that it's a little bit chilly because it's January. And the third would be that Jimmy Cook would be wearing a Kansas City Chiefs shirt, which he is wearing. That is from which Super Bowl appearance, which is a good th- problem to have when you're not when one has to ask which Super Bowl appearance it's from. That is from their first when they went to Miami and beat San Francisco. Okay. So good luck to try to continue first that. First Mahomes era. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Patrick Mahomes, by the way, and we have a lot to talk about today that we'll get to in just a second here. I did figure this out last night, Jimmy. Of the quarterbacks that have started in four Super Bowls, and people were like, what about Tom Brady and John? I'm, I'm talking about those that started in specifically four Super Bowls. Jim Kelly, Roger Staubach, Peyton Manning, Joe Montana, Patrick Mahomes. I don't think I'm missing anybody off that list. Of that list, Patrick Mahomes is right now 28 years old. He will be making his fourth Super Bowl start at a younger age than did Jim Kelly, Peyton Manning, or Roger Staubach in their first Super Bowl. That's incredible. It's insane. It's incredible. Uh, Super Bowl set, Chiefs and Lions. We'll talk about that over the course of today. Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, is going to join us at 1215. Don capably uh, filling in with John Herrick on Saturday, but Don was not on the call for Indiana at Illinois because um, he gave it a go. He gave it a a solid effort. And then, Eddie, you said he woke up this morning at 3 a.m. and he's been drinking uh, lemon, honey, and tea ever since, right? Yeah. I was in communication with Don yesterday. He said a lot of tea, a lot of honey, (laughs) and some, quote, air quotes around this, home remedies. Really? Yes. I wonder what that was referring to. I would imagine that would be a humidifier. Little eucalyptus in the humidifier machine and just sitting with the humidifier going. That's my guess. I would imagine there is something, being the longtime Hall of Fame veteran that he is, that Don Fisher has as a go-to. That I'm sure if young Eddie or somebody asked, he would be willing to share it. But whatever it is, those home remedies, I bet that's the secret sauce. Oh, to the this right here. Up. I just have sitting next to me a Ricola. That'll go you a long Perhaps way as well. A big weekend for the Pacers. They got a huge win on Friday night over the Phoenix Suns in a historic performance. A record-setting performance. About midway through the game, so Stephen Holder went with me, and we look up, and I'm like, dude, Devin Booker has 17, and we're like six minutes into the game. So we start placing bets, and now here's a question for you. So Shannon and I had a wager during the game, and Miles Turner of the Pacers, by the way, going to join us. Uh, Just under 25, or just over 25 minutes from now, Miles Turner, and then Don Fisher at 12.15. So we'll go back-to-back basketball topics. Don Fisher, 12-15, Miles Turner today at 12-30. Chap will join us. We'll talk Super Bowl and the Colts at 2 o'clock. But as for the Pacers in that game on Friday night with Phoenix and then following it up with a win yesterday against Memphis, they've now won three straight because, of course, the weekend began going into it with the win over Philadelphia on Thursday. But as Devin Booker on Friday night, it was clear that he was on a record pace. I looked it up, and... 
the all-time record for points against the Pacers in the in Gamebridge Fieldhouse is Giannis. Was Giannis with 54. The all-time record for a game against the Pacers in Indianapolis was the Iceman George Gervin with 55. That was in Market Square Arena. And in 1980. So you guys tell me. We'll let you be Judge Wapner and Judge Judy here. Do we have the People's Court, Eddie? We can play the People's Court theme for this perhaps because I'm going to allow you guys to be the judge on this. Okay? But Devin Booker's going crazy in the game. And it's very clear that he might set the all-time record for points against the, Pacer, against the Pacers. So I say to Shannon, okay, let's wager on this. Holder and I were each predicting what we thought he was going to end up with early in the game, and we mm-hmm. both said like in the 40s. Once he went over that, we're like, okay, so let's wager now. I said to Shannon, price is right rules. Closest without going over. Naturally. Now, do we have Eddie... The, the music for you guys to play judge and jury here? Here we go. I thought we did. Okay. Well, our computer, our chipmunk's on the spoke. There we go. We have a chipmunk that runs a computer. He yep. steps out every once in a while. He's got a Snack terrible, break. Snack break. terrible Sorry. nickname. Sorry. Habit. Okay, so here's the question for you guys. Closest without going over. I guessed 61. Shannon guessed 63. He had 62 points. Who's the winner? The rules were established and she heard them, yes? Yes. Then you are the winner. The okay. rules were established. Eddie? You are the winner because Shannon's guess went over. Or, well, technically, un- now, well, hold on here. Yeah. She said 63. She said 63. Okay, then. I'm sorry. She said 63. I said 61, and he had 62. Oh, she's the winner because you. No, no. Wait, no, no. Over. Hold on. She, she went, went over. Close yeah. without going over. Yeah. She wins. Yeah. Thank you. As this long as like, that was established, she tried, all to, she tried to trick it and said, no, no, no. I won because, um, because the going, I went over. And so therefore I won. The winner, the winner is the, the highest, including going over. And I'm like, well, no, there's no way. Right? As long as you have established prices, right rules. Thank you. So I was the winner, done. right? You were the winner. Yeah. Okay. So sorry, Shannon. But that was a, that was a gutsy performance for the Pacers because you have... What do I hate more than anything? What have I told you I hate more than anything when I look back at games? Regardless of watching it, I hate it in real time. What do I hate more than anything? It's 40-point quarters. They gave up two of them and they still won. It is amazing. And they, in addition to that, they were down late. And when they're down late, and they still... Man- and, and without their, their best player, obviously in Tyrese Halliburton, although Pascal Siakam's quickly making an argument there, right? Um he was sensational, but I just love their unselfishness and their balance. And when the game was on the line, you know, they missed not one, but two shots. And then Obi Toppin comes in from nowhere, gets the putback. And then Devin Booker, and I don't know how exactly it works where he gets the inbound, falls down and is able to get back up. Unless I guess if, if he's doing a curly kneel and kept his dribble, <laughs> but the, the defense that was applied and it's hard to say the defense applied when a guy has 62 points against you, but in that final possession, the defensive effort applied, um, was fantastic. And and then yesterday, no T.J. McConnell, no Miles Turner, who's going to join us here coming up in just over 20 minutes from now, um, and obviously no Tyrese Halliburton, who may be joining us later this week, but we shall see. It depends on his playing availability. And again, just the balance. And the one thing that I noticed yesterday, Jimmy, as I was watching the Pacers, was as much as we've talked about Benedict Matherin, 
and I have said that that I felt like maybe they had seen enough to know that Matherin is the guy that they could turn into other pieces and that Halliburton is the guy they run with. It's hard to immediately say that, though, because he is so valuable when his when they do need him to be the guy. You know, he is a reliable scorer when – so that Hall, or, or excuse me, Matherin is so valuable to them and so good – in those situations, what they need out of him now, Jimmy, is for Matherin to be able to, and I don't mean this as a knock on him, but Matherin's contribution when the main offensive weapons are not out there, then what he needs, what they need to find out from him is how he has the same level of contribution that doesn't involve primary scoring if that makes sense. Otherwise, he is a, an extremely valuable player to have in the 18 games a year Halliburton's not out there or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? But there's no doubt that he is a weapon that is really good to have. There's an aspect of his game that still needs to grow and evolve, and that's why I've kind of been banging the pans for I want to see year three of Benedict Matherin. While it's tempting to be able to, because he would, he would command something if you were to try to move him before the deadline. I feel like he is a piece that can be part of this championship core it feels like they are trending towards building over the next couple of seasons but it's being more comfortable in catch and shoot situations being more comfortable with doing things not the basketball and to your point Jake allowing Tyrese Halliburton to be the driver and being okay with being the second option I don't know if it's a mental thing but you look at and I'm not saying the Pacers are here yet but you look at just off the top of my head dynamic duos in terms of being a second piece, but still being able to rise to the occasion when your team needs you, if the other star goes down, go have a conversation with Scottie Pippen. Go talk to Clay Thompson. Go talk to Dwayne Wade. I'm not saying that Bennett Mather is going to be those guys, but when you're mapping out what this roster looks like in a couple of years, Tyrese Halliburton is your one, and then you build everything else out from there, whether it's Siakam as a two, whether it's Miles as a two, whether it's Benedict as your second best option. That is a mentality and a growth area of his game without the basketball where you see it in splashes, but you also know he can still take over, and that's the balancing act. The balancing act for him moving forward, whether it's this season or next year as you're mapping out what a year three looks like when the Pacers get done, what they want to get done this season is, are you able to be a deferral guy when called upon? but also still be able to have that killer mentality that you clearly possess. Uh, also yesterday, Purdue getting kind of a monkey off its back by winning at Rutgers. That was a game that Zach Eady had said was uh, one that he really kind of circled, wanted to mm-hmm. kind of check off and and just kind of put behind them, and they get a win at Rutgers. And he becomes the sixth player in Big Ten history, joining the likes of Trace Jackson Davis, for that matter, uh, Joe Barry Carroll, his feller, fellow Boilermaker, Ethan Happ's kind of the weird one on this list that you're like, really? Uh, Greg, uh, is it Kelser or Kessler from Greg Kelser from Michigan State from back in the 70s? There was one other one. Uh, but anyway, only six players in Big Ten history have accumulated in their career 2,000 points and 1,000 rebounds. I was surprised that Glenn Robinson was not one of them. I know he only played two years. Um, but a, a tremendous feat and accomplishment. But Purdue just does what Purdue does, right? And I thought that. You know, Edie, Rutgers was very physical with Edie, but there, Jimmy, there's just not much you can do with him because he is that talented. And 
the other thing that Purdue now is getting that I think is is really valuable is they just continue to get outside shooting and guard play from different areas and that appears to be the one boogaboo, if you will, that was worried some about Purdue last year late in the year seems to be something that they addressed and now that they feel good about heading down towards the last quarter of the season here in terms of getting perimeter help to kind of not that you need offset of Edie, but you get what I'm saying. Now. A year ago, the worry was be physical with Edie and they're going to fold because they can't make shots because they don't have shooters that do it with confidence. And that's ultimately how you're going to knock them out of the NCAA tournament this year. Again, I know there's Purdue faithful that feel they need to see it to believe it. And I get that. I understand that there's scar tissue there, but they've taken that away to the point that the only real way it appears to beat them. And this is a great problem to have turn them over and outscore them. It's one of those tip of the cap games. It's not going to be Purdue falls all over themselves. It's going to be a team goes out of their minds and right. outscores them instead of worries of, oh, this is the clear Achilles heel of this team. By the way, Terry Bradshaw is another of the four Super Bowl starting quarterbacks. That was the one that I forgot to mention earlier, so I appreciate that. Yeah, for Purdue, um, you know, now they get a chance to kind of exercise some more demons, I guess, if you will, right? This on like Wednesday. like a revenge tour for them. Kind like of, all yeah. all the way around. You're right. Because now you get Northwestern in, right? Like you, you, they hadn't had some of the senior class. Can they get an exhibition against Fairleigh Dickinson like on Sunday? <laughs> you don't think they had that over the summer? Yeah. Just a closed practice? Hey, we just from a confidence standpoint, we're going to run this back one time. No cameras, just us. Don't Probably, think that's already right? happened. No, I mean, they, they've gotten wins at Assembly Hall. They've gotten wins at Piscataway. And I'm not willing to go as far as some of the conspiracy theorists, which is the second they lost to Fairleigh Dickinson, everybody points to, oh, well, look what happened with Virginia. They came back and won it the next year. It's right. it's a divine coronation for Purdue. They're going to go ahead and do this thing, and they're going to win it no matter what. I'm not quite there necessarily yet because of the crapshoot that the NCAA tournament is. All that said, though, it's hard not to look at what they're doing and be like, this is a team on a mission. This is clearly a revenge tour mentality, and they are better in every area than they were a year ago. I just think that, obviously, to win in March, you need good guard play Mm -hmm. and the more guards you have that can give you good play the better your odds are of getting good guard play if you will and so when you are able to add and get in transfers that that give them that and the maturation you know look smith is a really good player really good player and a smart player right a very smart player um speaking of the big 10 and around the state again as i'd mentioned the other side of that indiana at illinois on saturday don fisher gave it a go and 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 this is impressive. My understanding is nine jars of honey he's gone through, along with <laughs> hot tea in the last couple of, uh, oh, I don't know, day and a half or so, and he joins us now on the program. Don, how are we feeling? Um, a little better. Uh, not nearly what I'd like to feel like at this point. And the fact of the matter is, you're right, uh, I've gone through uh, at least six or seven jars of honey <laughs> and more tea than I've ever drank in my life. And pretty much uh, every five minutes, I got to go to the John. So you got you got the whole <laughs> right there. Well, you sound great, Don. I'll be you honest do. with you. Like you whatever sound... you're taking, it's working. Right. You sound wonderful. <laughs> Better than I did on Saturday, I can tell you that. <laughs> so, Don, at the risk of being too personal, and feel free to decline here. I, but I just because I think people were curious. So, did you get as we do? Like, I know my friend Kevin Lee, for example, gets this sometimes, uh, where he just gets like a bout of laryngitis because he's always using his voice. Or did you have a head cold? 
Not that it matters. I had a head. I had a head cold. Okay, and that's and and every time I get a head cold, it goes right to my throat. Right. Well, uh, and I I get about one or two a year, so <laughs> it's always it's always an issue. But laryngitis hasn't hit me, but about four times since I've been doing the games at IU in fifty some years. But every time it does, it takes you out for a while, and you don't have much of a choice. So. Honestly, at this juncture, uh, I'm just pl- I'm glad I'm getting a little bit better, but I still got ways to go. Well, we certainly hope you feel better, Don. And I was I was curious about this because you have seen so many games at Indiana when you're on the microphone, and so the most basic and elementary of questions, but I'm going to ask it anyway, would be when you then all of a sudden are forced to watch the game like a spectator and not broadcasting it. Do you view it differently? Are, are there nuances of the game for Indiana that you notice when you're not hyper-focused on what's going on of detail and you can kind of see it from a broader spectrum? The truth of the matter is uh, I, I, I watched the game after I uh, gave, the John over, or gave the microphone over to John Herrick uh, after the second television timeout. I watched the game from about four seats away from where they were sitting uh, right behind the Indiana bench. And the only perspective that I got would be different was that I did hear some of the things that were being said from a coaching perspective. And, and uh, it, it wasn't that much different than what I anticipated. But the truth of the matter is I still kept score for the ball game, just like I always would uh, with the, the stat sheet that I keep in front of me and, and the, the form that I make and, and that kind of stuff. So I just I treated it like it was a game without me broadcasting it, but at the same time, I felt like it was right there. Don, Indiana was a little shorthanded. We know that without Khalil Ware there, and they did not shoot the ball well from the outside. It's hard to win games in the Big Ten when you're 0 for 9 from three-point range, when you miss 10 free throws. But as opposed to turning it into a a complete negative session, I I did think, and I liked Mike Woodson's adjustment of going a little bit smaller and using Walker alongside Malik Renew and Renew, who we've talked a lot about. I thought that did kind of open him up and continue to keep him going offensively. What did you think of the adjustments? Well, I I think that's exactly what had to happen. As much as I like Peyton Sparks, he's a really good kid and, and he's a decent basketball player. But but he is not as quick and as athletic as as a guy as the kind of guy you need out there in this particular situation, because uh, obviously Hawkins, the the big man for Illinois, plays like a guard. I mean, he plays a lot of ball. He brings the ball up sometimes, uh, and he's more agile and more athletic than anybody that uh, that we could have thrown up there without Khalil Ware in the lineup. So Anthony Walker uh, took over that role. I liked what I saw from Anthony. He didn't score a lot of points, but he was solid out there. But the biggest difference in this ball game on Saturday from Indiana's perspective and how they played was defensively. I mean, they literally played hard and intense and did what the coaches asked them to do uh, based on the scouting report. And I thought their defense in this ball game was as good as we've seen them play for a while without question. I'm not saying it's the best of the year, but it was close. Uh, they really did a great job defensively against Illinois. I thought Illinois would be running up and down the floor as much as they possibly could in this game, and Indiana just did not let them. Uh, they did a decent job on the boards. I'm talking about IU now. And I just think that the, the biggest change of, from what we've seen here in the last couple of weeks was the defensive end of the floor. And I was hoping that the eight-day layoff or the eight days in games, I guess I should say, would be a factor in this matchup. And I think it really was. I think this team had a chance to look itself in the mirror and say, this is not Indiana. 
Uh, we've got to get better, and we've got to do it at one end of the floor more than the other. I think defense was the difference. Don, any updates on Clue Ware at this point? I don't know. I know he was walking on the floor without a boot. He didn't look like he was limping or anything like that and sweats out there on Saturday. Uh, my hope is that he's ready for this Iowa ball game uh, tomorrow night because there's no question they need him. Uh, and he's a big factor in this ball club. I mean, he's the second leading scorer on the team. He's the best rebounder on the team, at least from a, a statistical perspective. Uh, there's little question that he is a factor every time he's out there with IU, and they need him. He's one of their best players. And back-to-back home games for Indiana, which might be like Don Fisher's honey and tea, just the medicine that they need, right? Coming back, licking the wounds a little bit, and the chance to kind of stable the ship here for Indiana. Don, we certainly hope, um, you know, John did a nice job, John Herrick, so hats off to him. But I know how badly as a broadcaster you want to be behind that mic, and I know people are happy to hear that you are on the mend, and we certainly look forward to hopefully hearing you on the call for Indiana coming up this week. I appreciate it, Jake. Thank you. I appreciate it. Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Again, Indiana in action. Uh, Coming up their week this week is going to be against Iowa. That's tomorrow night and then Saturday against Penn State. You can hear those games on our sister station, 93 WIBC. Speaking of basketball in the state of Indiana, it was a huge, huge, huge weekend for the Indiana Pacers, who got a win on Friday night against the Phoenix Suns and then yesterday against the Memphis Grizzlies. Miles Turner was not in that game yesterday, but he does join us now on the program. Uh, Miles, first and foremost, thank you so much for the time. How are you? Yeah, yeah, what's good, man? I'm uh, I'm good, man. I appreciate y'all having me on today. Well, the last time that that you and I spoke, we were um, scooping out. I was in charge of mashed potatoes. I think you had turkey distribution. Two people to my left uh, just prior to Thanksgiving, and uh, that was actually a fun event. And if you don't mind me saying so, I'm pretty decent at scooping the mashed potatoes, but I think I was pretty generous because they kept having to bring them over. Did you notice that? Man, they kept coming back to your station in particular. <laughs> that's the telltale right there. Hey, um, let's begin with this. I, in you know, talking to Don Fisher there, the voice of Indiana, who had to miss the game for Indiana on Saturday because he's got a head cold. You missed the game yesterday. Uh, where do things stand? How are you feeling? And and what was keeping you out? Oh yeah, I'm good, man. I think uh, just my back was a uh, was just like just uh, messing me a little bit, and it got a little stiff. And I think it was a precautionary thing just to be on the road for the next four to five days. You know, get on the planes, sleep in different hotel rooms. Uh, if anything, it was a precautionary thing on the medical teams part. But I'm good, man. I'm, I'll be good to go against Boston here on uh, Tuesday. Okay, so Pacers getting set to go to Boston. Miles Turner, our guest. Let's go back then and look through uh, the weekend, and we'll begin with Phoenix. Miles, to me. You know, when you get a guy like Devin Booker that is that high, and I mean, I it's listen. I, obviously, we have not seen a guy score that those kinds of points in Indiana as a visitor in the NBA. But he was to be that hot. But the plays that you guys had to make down the stretch, what adjustments did you have to make? Say late in the fourth, or did you both offensively and defensively in that game? I mean, you got to give a huge credit to Aaron Neesmith. I think he checked him for most of that game, and it's very easy as a defender to get uh, discouraged, you know, when your guy's going off like, you know, uh, like Book was. But I think our message was, was quite simple. It's just like, don't quit. You know, keep staying the course. Like, he's a good player. He's going to make shots. But it's a 48-minute game. You know, you can get hot for three quarters and then not be as hot that last quarter. So, um, I think Aaron really dug in and, uh, you know, sunk his teeth in and uh, did what he had to do. And, um, you know, Book, you know, fortunately missed a few shots, you know, down the stretch. And um, our hard play at the end of the day prevailed. 
Miles Turner joins us. Miles, how different is it playing alongside Pascal Siakam compared to, or how similar is it compared to DeMontis Sabonis? Um, it's honestly completely different. I mean, uh, I think they have two different skill sets. I think Domas is a, is a great passer, great facilitator, um, but also, you know, occupies space like on the low block, whereas Pascal is more of a perimeter-oriented guy who will do damage on the inside as well. And, you know, he gets up and down, so... Uh, for me personally, it changes because there's so much attention, you know, on him that obviously I'm open for shots every now and then. Then when it comes to our four or five pick and roll, I can get up great openings for him because he's too quick for other, you know, centers to guard. Um, and then when they put their smalls on me, obviously I go down low. So it's just a, it opens up both of our games, you know, equally. Uh, the versatility of our team is definitely something that I think has been unique and something that we've been able to really play with as five out basketball. But you know, I saw all towards the good. You know, I've, I've really enjoyed playing with them so far. Miles Turner is our guest of the Pacers. Miles, here's a really elementary question, but I've always been fascinated by this. When I watch the NBA, you know, it is so fast moving and the ball moves around so quickly. What percent mm-hmm. of the time, and I know this sounds like a dumb question, right? But what percent of the time in a half court set are you guys running a designed, called out play? I'm going to keep it real. That's actually a great question. So, we're very different than a lot of teams. If I were to, over the course of an entire NBA game, we probably 15 to 20% of the time running plays. The rest of the 80 to, you know, 85% of the time, we're, we're out there um, generally just playing open basketball and free basketball. It's almost like an open gym kind of scenario. Um, we have, you know, some of the best playmakers, you know, on our side. You know, obviously the biggest one in Tyrese, you know, to create for so many people. So he really just put the ball in his hands and let him create. And, um, I honestly think that's a recipe for success in the, in today's NBA. You can try to script all these plays, but, you know, you've watched the play- playoffs as much as anybody. Like, once you get to that time of the year, there really is no plays. You know everything about that team. You scouted everything about the team and the personnel. So you have to just play open and free basketball. And um, I think that's, you know, playing this way in the middle of the season is preparing us for that postseason. So of those plays, and that's a fascinating answer, by the way, 15 to 20. I, like, I would have guessed it to be higher. So a two-part question – of those, I would assume that the point guard or that there is a designated player that is the one in the course of a set that makes the decision to go ahead and reset on a possession and run a specific play. Um, a, is that true? And then B, with a new face like a Pascal Siakam, how deep into the playbook can you go now because of the fact that he obviously would not know the vast majority of plays? Well, it's partially true because I think Rick does, you know, command that part of the offense every now and then. If he wants to, if if he's, he wants to exploit a mismatch or he sees something, you know, he's obviously going to speak up. So every now and then, you know, after a timeout or you know, even like halfway down the floor, he'll call something. But uh, for the other part of your question, someone like Pascal, he fits the system so seamlessly. So you know, I think at the end of the day, we all run the same plays in the NBA. We just have different names for them. You know, we uh, everybody steals everybody's plays or takes different iterations of it and whatnot. But um, I think for us, we, we run pretty basic NBA sets. So Pascal was able to come in and uh, just kind of pick up just through basketball and NBA knowledge, you know, what those plays were. So it was really easy for him just to, like I said, fit so seamlessly. How does your offense run differently with Andrew Nimhard running things versus Tyrese Halliburton? Um. Well, Tyrese obviously has a couple inches on uh, Drew. So that's probably the biggest thing. Tyrese can, you know, steal over the defense a little bit better than uh, Drew can. But Drew is such a great creator on and off the floor. I feel like he's a uh, uh, he's someone who can like dip into his bag and really take anybody one on one. 
but he also has such great vision. So I think Drew's biggest thing is just knowing when to be aggressive and when to, you know, actually get guys involved, whereas I think Tyrese has that down, like, to a science at this point. And obviously that comes with years and experience, but, you know, Drew's only in his second year in the league and someone that can really command the top scoring offense in the in this NBA. So he's had a good uh, – he's definitely had a good past week or so. Is someone who started the year off, you know, with injury and is still, you know, working his way back. So um, I couldn't have been happier or proud of the way that he was able to handle things when, you know, Tyrese went out. But, you know, Tyrese is a, you know, an all-star. He's someone who's a all-NBA level player. So there's obviously going to be some drastic differences. But when it comes to the straight game and hooping, you know, uh, Drew definitely has that. Pacer star Miles Turner is our guest. Miles, Benedict Matherin is growing game by game in front of our eyes. And a lot of people point to year three or year four to where things really start to jump forward for players in this league. For you, when did it click for you? When did you feel like you had your I arrived moment in the NBA? Um, I think for me personally, I had a little bit of a different path than most. Like I, you know, my first year, I missed the first 40 games because of a, you know, broken thumb. But then I was thrown into the starting lineup right away. Then, you know, I was starting in the playoffs and, you know, I got that experience early. So I think going into my second year, things started to click pretty well for me. I think I actually hit my wall my third year, which isn't really, you know, isn't really typical for a lot of NBA guys. It's not the same um, route, but uh, things really clicked for my second year. Just being able to come straight, straight off from starting in the playoffs to, to, to another season starting, being the starting center to start the season and whatnot and getting those reps and opportunities. Whereas Ben is coming into a situation where, you know, we're looking to win now. So, he has to learn a bit faster. And I think that there's going to be same thing, high stretches and low stretches, high like games where he doesn't score, games where he's scoring 30, 40 points because, you know, that's how the game allows him to, to play and create. So I think the sky's the limit for him. He obviously still, you know, has a lot to learn, uh, still still has a lot to learn when it comes just to a full season and whatnot and what it takes to put to get, put that together. But, you know, um, things will click for him very soon. He definitely has the right mentality for it. Miles Turner is our guest. Pacers in Boston getting set here coming up tomorrow night. Miles, I know on Saturday you guys were off. Uh, I've got a, a buddy named Vince Todd, Vinny Todd, we call him, who runs the oh. Heroes Foundation, which is a fundraiser. You know, Vinny had cancer as a cancer survivor and took it upon himself a number of years ago to, to raise a lot of money. $500,000, I think, was raised Saturday. You were there at the event, which I know yeah. excited a lot of people. How did you get involved in that? Oh, well, a lot of that was through the Simon family. You know, Sarah Simon in particular, she extended the, the invite for me to come out. And um, it was such a great cause because we were able to go out there and, and um, auction off, you know, you know the certain aspects of, you know, of our game. So the biggest thing we auctioned off was just like a meet and greet, obviously, with me, um, with pregame. Then it's four tickets to a game. It's basically the Pacers experience, right? And, you know, we were able to auction that off for, you know, $5,000, which is huge, you know, towards the cause. Towards the cause. There's also something this year in particular that was close and near and dear to my heart. You know, Team Joey uh, has a lot to do, uh, you know, with the Hero Foundation, but it's like their is their iteration, uh, you know, of a child who likes to really play with Legos and whatnot. He had a huge obsession with Legos, and when he was going through his treatment and whatnot, you know, those Legos is what got him through. So we, what they decided to do was put those Legos with other children who are, are, are in the pediatric hospital that are going through treatment or about to go through their rounds of chemo and whatnot. They give them a whole bunch of Legos, so... It, it just kind of uh, it worked out perfectly with just with my aspirations and my hobbies and whatnot. And um, I was able to go there, show face for a bit, you know, meet some great people. But um, the Simon family, you know, really took care of me with that one. So it was a great, it was a great night and a great uh, found um, a great a great cause. You went to Trinity High School, is that correct? Correct. Now, is it 
how do you say the name of your town? Is it Ulysses? Ulysses Trinity. Ulysses Trinity. Okay, so between Ulysses Trinity High School, obviously the University of Texas, the number of Pacer teams that you've played on since you were drafted, where does this team rank in terms of overall cohesiveness of roster? Um, I would probably say, you know, it's tough, man, because like the best year I think I've had here, you know, just with my bias was that when Vic was here, Oladipo was here his first year. We got to that playoffs and that, got to that game seven against, you know, the Cavs and LeBron and them. That was probably the best, like, locker room I've been a part of since I've been here. And another pace that was a TJ McConnell was part of that locker room as well. He, he can account to that. But um, what we're doing this year is actually very special just because of how young we really are. Like me being a nine-year veteran but only being 27 years old and having guys that are, you know, 20 years old, 22, 23, like this, that, uh, this closeness of age was definitely something that we didn't have that year when we went to the, uh, um, to game seven of that series. So I probably put this at a close, at a second compared to that one year, but it there very well has the, uh, opportunity to, to jump that, you know, depending on how we do in our playoffs this year. Did, did you, or do you now, Miles Turner, you know, as it's, it's so weird to think at 27 that you're, you know, you're you're the grandpa, right? You and probably TJ McConnell, and you know, there's some veterans there. But when you talk about the young players, the Aaron Neesmiths, the Benedict Matherins, for that matter, even Tyrese Halliburtons, do you have to preach patience to them? Do you have to kind of just remind them that it doesn't, like you were talking about a minute ago, that it doesn't happen overnight? Yeah, and I, I think they understand that, which is the, the the best part about it. You know, someone like Tyrese who hasn't necessarily been to the playoffs, but has been you know, has seen high-level basketball on his plate. Some high-level basketball can, can tell. And, you know, him only being his first couple of years in the league um, and accomplishing so much as he had so early, you know, it puts a tremendous amount of pressure, you know, on one's, on one's back. And I feel like if anybody, he's handled it, you know, so well and represented the city so well as well. So I think someone like uh, Tyrese and, uh, and them, like whenever things start to speed up a little bit, it's not that hard, like, to, to bring him back in or settle him down. Pacer star Miles Turner is our guest. Miles, Indiana has really been a second home for you. I mean, you mentioned starting as young as you did in the league and pretty much your entire adult life has been spent here. As a veteran of this team and having such a great event like All-Star Weekend be here, what does it mean to be an ambassador and be able to show off the state and the city of Indianapolis? Well, it's a huge honor just being, first of all, even being trusted, you know, just with that, um, you know, with that measure right there, being able to welcome people into the great city and just uh show them what a great host city Indianapolis really is. I really feel like that's something that's very underrated about our city is the fact that when we host events, you know, all the time, whether it's some huge convention, whether it's the Super Bowl, whether it's, um, you know, the Final Four, March Madness, anything, like they do such a great job of hosting, especially in the downtown area. Like it's always a fun vibe. It's always, you know, doping around the city. But being an NBA ambassador is one thing I learned, you know, this summer especially, like those three letters hold so much weight, you know, being being in the NBA. And now that you are a part of that, actual city you know that everybody's coming to and the whole city you know being well with the Pacers um obviously their eyes and their ears go towards someone who's been here you know as long as I've been so um you know I'm definitely gonna take great pride in representing the actual city in the blue and gold and just um you know what we're about here in Indy just uh you know showing that it's more than just a, a blue collar like town you know there's actually a lot of a uh, a lot of depth you know to our city Somebody just sent me a tweet that said ask Miles Turner if he's ever thought about developing a hook shot because he'd be unstoppable you don't see the hook shot much anymore. Um, a, I guess, have you? And and where is your most comfortable offensive spot? 
Um, well, I don't really have like a sky hook like Kareem or anything like that, but one of my go-to shots is definitely my jump hook. You know, my right-hand jump hook is something that I, especially the post that I'm always trying to get to. You know, a lot of that came from like Al Jefferson. He was someone who was really, was really good at that and really uh, had a good feel. He was one of my bets or whatnot. But um, as far as on the floor, I love operating in the mid-range area. Like whether it's like the dots or right at, right above the free throw line, that that's like my perfect ideal area to operate and whatnot. So I trust my touch so much. And I'm a three-level scorer, and that's one of the levels in the mid-range that I'm very comfortable with. Now, here's the one thing, Miles, that I've determined. I, I've made a an objective observation about you, and, and I think I'm right on this, okay? I don't think you're going to like it, though. You ready? Please. I, I've decided that you don't have a lot of rhythm. And the reason I decided that is because I watch in the pregame, right? And in the pregame, there's this – and it's my favorite part of the game – TJ McConnell stands there, and every single player has like a personal high five, like I don't even know what you would call it, like handshake, high five, like rhythm thing with TJ McConnell, and it's orchestrated for every single player. And then you come along, and all you give them is a handshake. And I determined that it's because you, you don't want to get involved in the hijinks and learning the whole, all the different moves and everything that go on with TJ McConnell. Why just the handshake? <laughs> well, you couldn't be more wrong when it comes to the rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> so we're blaming TJ McConnell is what you're saying. Not necessarily. I mean, I just uh, naturally amongst my culture, I'm born with rhythm. And um, <laughs> So it's TJ McConnell, <laughs> right? The one thing with me and T, it's just a funny, he's been here, you know, for been my team, my longest tenure teammate. And it's kind of just a run, running inside joke that we have, you know, with that handshake and whatnot. It's just, just an all business approach. You know what I mean? And he's been here when I've had coaches who have had that same exact type of mindset. So that's our kind of our running joke is when we get to the floor, it's all business. And when it comes to rhythm and whatnot, no, nah, absolutely not. Especially for how big I am, I definitely have. Very <laughs> okay. Great I saw it in the, the way that you were able to distribute turkey. I will admit there was some coordination <laughs> there, right? Um, okay, right. lastly, Miles, because I always ask this question. I think people find it interesting. You're getting ready to go to Boston. You mentioned being on the airplane. What's travel like in conclusion here? As you're getting set to go, take me through just like what the road trip is. I mean, you know, you're not getting in line at Southwest with the early bird hoping that they, you know, that you can get an aisle seat. But what do you watch on the plane? Do you watch film? Do you hang out? Do you sleep? How difficult or arduous is travel in the NBA? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is uh, obviously we're, we're spoiled with just the way we travel and not getting chartered flights. It's something that's, um, you know, Compared to traveling in the summertime, you know, on the off season compared to now, it's something that's second to none. Like you just you get first class service. I mean, the, you know, you, you know, as soon as you touch down, there's a chartered bus for you to take us to the hotel. So all that stuff is nice. But um, you know, it's just the time that's probably the hardest of everything. After a game, you know, you probably won't get back home to like two, three o'clock in the morning, or get to the next day to three, four o'clock, or sometimes you have a, ne- a game the next day, so you just have to psych yourself into it. But as far as entertainment, all that type of stuff, yeah, and you know, I read books every now and then. Uh, I'm on my, I got a Nintendo Switch. I play that from in the mood for that. Sometimes I'll just sleep. I mean, it just kind of depends on what you feel in that day. So, yeah. Best book is what? Best book. Uh, well, the best book I, I first ever read was Hunger Games series. That's something I read when I was um uh when I was in school. Uh, Maze Runner was another one that I, that I liked, but I'm really starting to get into more like nonfiction stuff now. Like I'm reading one called The Inner Work right now. It's just a Figuring yourself out as a man, just uh, you know, trying to figure out your own subconscious and whatnot, and just uh, leaning aside as opposed to outside help. So it's been just a go-to switch game right now. Go-to switch game. I just, I probably say I'm still on Smash Bros. Something crazy. Nice. <laughs> now, what's that one you guys play, Jimmy? Does he play Rock- that Rocket League? Miles, you a Rocket League guy? 
I never got into it, but I know exactly what it is. Sure. Like the cars and the cars. <laughs> okay, here we go. That's right. Cars and soccer, I think, right, is what it is. That is correct. All right. Well, Miles, I know that uh, it's a busy day for you. Probably got to get some treatment before you guys hit to the road to Boston. And again, I want to repeat, you are, as of right now, you are slated to be in for the Boston game, correct? That's right now. Yeah, I'm good. All right. Appreciate it. Miles, I appreciate the time today as well. Absolutely, man. I make sure I keep that rhythm flowing for you. <laughs> I like that. I want to see more than just a handshake with TJ McConnell. Miles Turner joins us here on the program on Querying Company. Appreciate the time. All right, we are a little bit over, so we'll take a break. We'll come back. And I have a theory, by the way, on something that's going on in the world of sports that I think needs to come to a stop. I'll tell you what it is next. Thank you to Miles Turner for his time. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, the other voice you hear on this program. Eddie Garrison, man in the controls for us. It is Query and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Pacers in Boston tomorrow night. And as you just heard from Miles Turner, despite missing the game yesterday against Memphis, he is expected to play in that contest. Super Bowl is set. It is the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers after, and I have not, by the way, several people have asked. I have not and we should probably do a check on this, um, heard from Mottman. So my my doctor, Dr. Mottman, who is a lifelong Lions fan, and never could it be more true than now when, as I had mentioned before, probably 50 times when I was in the literally in the middle of my heart attack at the hospital and it had come up that he was a Lions fan, and I said, you should take a picture of me right now because this looks exactly so that you can illustrate forever what being a Lions fan looks like. <laughs> um, <laughs> that had to be what he looked like yesterday, mid-fourth. But I, I had called him on Saturday, and he had just landed in Wyoming of all places. And I'm like, oh, man, yeah, you're in my spot now. So I don't know. He's the biggest Lions fan that I know, and I and – Tracy Forner would be up there. Matt Sosie would be up there. Lions fans, all good people. And you feel for them because it was right there for them. And and listen, there are a million things that you can point to. Clearly, the Lions' two decisions on fourth down to go for it and leaving points on the field really bit them. And... The second, I thought, was the more egregious. You know, the one thing that, that you got to keep in mind is that the first one, Where do you remember they had like a, it was a fourth and three, I think, Jimmy, where Dan Campbell the, the decided. Fir- the first turnover, turnover on downs in the second half. So you're talking yes. about. Yes. I wasn't sure if you were talking about the early, because he makes the right decision to end the first half, arguably, right? He takes the points, but the first downs, it was with, what, uh, 7.03 to play in the third. They go for it fourth and two at the San Francisco 28. Josh Reynolds drops a ball. So it would have been a 45, 46-yarder, right? Michael Badgley is not a guarantee from 40 to 50, quite frankly. Um, I think we need – here's the thing. Dan Campbell's getting absolutely crushed today, even though I think people like him. But I think we need to back off of it because, yes, leaving points out there on the field is – Pretty egregious, especially when you had a chance to go up three scores and go up by 17, and you already had been stopped once before on a fourth down in the second half. That second one really, really is glaring. But 
Here's the thing. Dan Campbell, when he was hired as the head coach of the Detroit Lions, you know, he came out and that's when, you know, the biting kneecaps and he was kind of this like unconventional. He wasn't a super polished guy. He's he was a like, meathead. A meathead. Correct. It's like, hey, man, they, they did you hear? Like they hired a guy from Detroit Southwestern High School that's running the industrial arts program and they just made him the football coach. <laughs> He's going to wear bike shorts every day, right? Yeah. And, but clearly in terms of a culture, he turned things around in Detroit. And we fell in love with them. And people loved them. And why did they love them? Because they're like, this guy just goes for it. He is fearless. I love it. The Lions are all in, man. They're not messing around. They're just going out there. And people loved the the bravada, if you will, the, the overabundance of confidence and machismo that came with Dan Campbell and how that bled over to the Detroit Lions. And all year long, that's what we heard about him. And all year long, it was... Hey, you know what? Like, don't don't sleep on the Lions because they've been the running joke of the NFL, but like they believe. And that comes from their coach. You know, that was the narrative about him. So we can't be hypocritical in championing championing and celebrating and promoting and congratulating that bravada for an entire season. And then when it's convenient for us as fans or or observers or prognosticators to then say, but now I've had enough. Now I think you're an idiot. Either you thought he was an idiot when he was going for fourth downs and, and, and taking Ron Rivera riverboat type gambling on the regular all season long. That's who he is, right? Like Dan Campbell in that game coached exactly as he is and exactly as he has been and exactly as the American football culture celebrated him. So just because a couple guys didn't make a play doesn't mean that that now you turn around and you go, yeah, but now all of a sudden I think he's an idiot for it. No. Now, if you were going to nitpick something, it would be the decision, and I don't know if it's he or his OC that made the call, but with the third and goal, with the clock running down and three timeouts in your hip pocket and not throwing the ball there, and as a result, letting the clock bleed down to the point where now you're in, yeah, they score, but they well, were, and, they and were it's done a snowball point. mistake, right? Because they make the decision to hand it off, but you're still realizing the end game scenario for you, regardless of how much time's left, we have three timeouts. Correct. We're going to try to get the ball back with however much time is left. The compounding of the mistake of running the ball and not getting it in is then calling the timeout. You need to rush and have, you know, full scale fire drill. You're kicking your on there. You'd probably have, I don't know, 45 seconds or so left, depending on, I can't remember where it was in the game, but you're still playing an end game of three timeouts, one stop, right. and then a prayer versus an onside kick you're then preying on that hits it like a 4% and, rate. And you know, the onside kick, I'll be honest, I, I thought they converted it, and then I realized, well, he's not even 10 yards. Yeah. You know, but I think if he was, doesn't touch that though, like if there's not the illegal touching, I was curious about the bounce because it looked good off the tee and it felt like okay, I know they're gonna have a shot at this thing. I, I'm with you, Jake. I don't. Dan Campbell was authentically himself the entirety of that season and especially that game. The only area where I would scratch heads at all with any decision is there is a certain feel about this too of situational football. Not the first turnover on downs you highlighted. The last one where if they kick it and he hits, you're tied 
That changes a lot about where things are from a mental standpoint for San Francisco. Maybe the Niners come down and score anyway. Who knows? But that would be the one I would get mad at him. Not the totality, just maybe the last one. The other thing, by the way, um, that I loved about Dan Campbell, and I love this about Mike Vanderjet. When Mike Vanderjet missed that field goal against the Pittsburgh Steelers in the biggest, most crushing, I think, home defeat in Indianapolis Colts history, when he missed that field goal, I remember going in the locker room and Mike Vanderjet was standing at his locker, still with his shoulder pads and his jersey on and his hands like in inside his shoulder pads. And he's like, go ahead, guys, anything you want to ask me. And he answered every single question. And I always respected the heck out of that. And Dan Campbell yesterday, to me, earned a ton of respect when after the game he said, look, it's on me. I own it. I made those calls. Yeah, they didn't execute it, right? But and then in addition to that, he said, now we got to find out, you know, we're, we're now a little bit more the hunted than the hunter, and we may never get back to this point. And he challenged his guys right there. This from Chris. Most people criticizing Campbell have seen maybe three or four games. Lions fans back him 100%. Those drops killed this team more than anything. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, the, risky calls, didn't execute those calls, but it's who he's been all year. And if we're going to praise him all year, then we got to say, you know what? He, he went down doing exactly what we applauded him for being. So, Jimmy, let's just get the elephant in the room out of the way here. At right, what then. point in the game yesterday did you feel confident that it was over? <laughs> the third and nine? The third and nine that? MVS? Is that what huh? you're the third and nine MVS that you're asking to Marcos Valdez Scantling that deep ball? MVS? Sorry. Marcos Valdez Scantling, Chiefs wide receiver that... That's what you're talking about. Yeah, the that third play. and nine pass play that yeah, put it away. Yeah, probably. Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm very nervous in in games as a fan. So yeah, that 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 one. Once you could see the body. What about when Jackson turned it over? Or, uh, was it? I'm sorry. What was the? You a know, I was, I was actually the Pacer game. What's that? Triple coverage interception by that. That that made it when feel they were close. in. They were getting close to the red zone, right? Yes, and he I mean, throws I was at the Pacer game. So yeah, my he 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 throws into triple coverage. You're still playing for potentially a field goal there. I think he just kind of got baited. And Deion Bush gets a great read on the ball. They make the interception. At that point, it was like, okay, it's probably done. But football's a weird sport, man. You look at the at the Lions and the Niners yesterday. We talk about whether or not it's Dan Campbell's fault or not. How about off a helmet and Brennan Ayuk? Yeah, I mean, that, 50 that, yards. Like it, totally. You know, listen, people that think momentum isn't a real oh, thing. Absolutely. You could absolutely feel it, right? Yeah. yeah no, you could I, totally feel it. Yeah, it, it, it swings like crazy, especially in these conference championship games. I would say, yeah, when MVS, when Marcos Valdez-Scantling catches that ball to end the game, at that point I could breathe easy. I just feel like... Because the Ravens were really good. They were the un- best team in football. Unpopular arguably. opinion here, and I know it's probably not in my best interest to say it because we've got two weeks to talk about it, not that it's going to dominate every show, but it'll certainly be a topic of conversation. But I think people would agree with me on this. It, it feels like a very non-sexy matchup, which is weird to say because... San Francisco is a great story. You know, Purdy's a great story. He's Mr. Irrelevant. Uh, McCaffrey is a heck of a talent. Uh, Debo Samuel in open space can make plays. Bosa is a great player. I mean, there's a lot to necessarily be impressed by with San Francisco. Kansas City, it goes without saying. Mahomes is historically great. Andy Reid just – Andy Reid schemed the hell out of Baltimore yesterday Mm -hmm. and and completely ran circles around him. But – I just think to a lot of people, it's like San Francisco's a team, 
weird to say in the NFL, but you know you don't see them as much in this area in this part of the country. I guess weird as that is to say, but um, but more so, it's a Super Bowl matchup we have recently had. It's for those that aren't invested fans. There are certainly those that have a fatigue of the Chiefs, partially due to Taylor Swift, partially due to the fact that her boyfriend's kind of overbearing and just never seems to age, and partially because Mahomes is doing things that franchises are envious of and then on the other side of it with san francisco like i i just think that you know shanahan is one that like some people like just kind of are tired of and i i don't know i i just detroit for san francisco i i guess the biggest knock on the on the niners and i'm talking about for fans of any of the other franchises in the nfl that just want to watch and looking enjoy for the a Super team Bowl. to maybe hit your wagon Correct. too and, and and the problem with this is your two choices are the the team that needs another Super Bowl, kind of like somebody at four in the morning needs another shot, and then versus the team that knocked out America's team in the Lions that everybody was pulling for. I mean, I think even you, Jimmy, like you had said, oh, you know, you didn't <laughs> want the Lions in there be specifically because you didn't want to be like the franchise that ruins and bursts the bubble of America's dream. Right? I didn't want to make a 99-year-old man cry. Correct. I wasn't interested in that. Correct. And that's what would have been on the table if it was Chiefs-Lions. Jake, to your point, I think regardless if it was Ravens or Chiefs, the Lions not being there impacts it the most because that was the darling America's team story. And to have them on that stage would have had all the inklings of, of a March Madness to some extent, even though they weren't quite a Cinderella. They were a very good football team. Miles Turner let us know earlier that he's going to be playing tomorrow night. Mike Chappell almost told us uh, last week who might get into the Hall of Fame. He's not going to do that this week. We'll try, but he joins us in an hour. One o'clock hour is underway on a Monday. How are you? My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook is the president of the company here at Query Company and Eddie Garrison the CEO, you folks, all members of the company, by the way, I still need, um, now, now I was proud of this actually, when I was leaving a Pacer game about a month ago, I, I had said that if, if, if you run into me in public, I want people to come up to me and say, I'm in the company. Like I'm in the company. Zaire Franklin saw Zaire Franklin at a fundraiser. He said, you know what? I'm, I'm in the company. Love that. Right. Love it. You know what we need? We need like a business card, business card, or like a, a button or something that you have on your person at all times. And when somebody hits you with it, "I'm part of the company," you'd be like, "Hey, welcome," and you just give them a little pin. How did we not hire Miles Turner for the director of blocking? Oh boy, mm, that's, we dropped the ball. It's a good point. Adam. Actually, the director of blocking is the guy that used to do this show, right? Oh well, what is it? Protector, director of rim protection. Yeah, I, I mean, still I, wanted, I would. I, would I didn't want to exclusively make him rim protector. I would argue uh, you could say director of architecture because, man, I don't have the attention span for Legos. Mm, like, but what he can put point. together is insane. Good point. He's you got, know, he's got like a seven foot version of himself. So, so let me ask this: Why is Miles Turner? Is it cool that he does Legos? But with Rodrigo Blankenship, he was a dork for it. Was it the glasses? Maybe glasses always get you right. Hey, who do you feel worse for today? I know last time we were kind of talking about NFC AFC championships. Do you feel worse for Josh Reynolds or Zay Flowers? Because Reynolds has multiple drops in the fourth quarter in that or in that second half as a whole, and Zay Flowers had one of the craziest self-destruct 30 seconds you'll ever see on a football field. How about the fumble? Yes. I mean, the fumble also. Who had the fumble? Flowers. It was Flowers? He had the taunting, and then like that same drive, okay, he fumbles yeah, yeah. at the half-yard line. 
Uh, the drops are pretty egregious. There was one that I felt bad for. Okay, who do I feel bad for? To an extent, Goff. Yeah. Because he, he put a couple right in the number. It was like, oh my gosh, right in the numbers. But it's, right? it's the same effect that happened with the Colts and Steichen. Those fourth and two calls, it gets questioned because old school thought says always take the points and then analytics invades and people have these conversations where they react. Analytics gets poo-pooed on reaction. It's never a preventative conversation. It's always after the fact when you can parade the result around as a win. There were good execution plays called both by the Colts at the end of that game against Houston, and in that case, the victim of the blame is Tyler Goodson and the idea of having him out there. Right. And in this case, it's, it's Josh Reynolds and drops. And, and that's what turns into this death to analytics type of conversation because it's great plays they just didn't execute. But... The, the the thing that makes the analytics part of it hard is the fact that for Sam or for for Detroit, I mean, at the end of that game, you're looking at it and you're thinking they should have six more points than they have yeah. right now. But that's a difficult thing to do because then that also changes the ebb and flow of the game right. in terms of the way that Kansas City then plays things. And you know, the it's it's very difficult to assess football or any sport in one play in a vacuum. Because the reality is that you don't know what you what you don't know is how then the trajectory. It's the butterfly effect. How, do, how does one? It's the butterfly effect. How does one thing change based on one ripple effect of a play? Correct. Momentum, situational football, game plan. How does it change when one big swing or one big mistake Correct. occurs? You know, so that 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 aspect of it. Now, it, it, from a non-football standpoint, I'm just going to say this right now. First off, San Francisco, the San Francisco 49ers, they play in Santa Clara. It's like an hour from – I'm going to guess. Eddie Garrison, I'm going to ask you to look this up, please. The The mileage from Santa Clara, California to, to downtown San Francisco. I'm going to say 58 miles. Strictly a guess, but I'm going to say 58 miles. Maybe it's not that far. Price but is right, that, rules? Ooh, I'm probably a little bit over. But you know, I don't know if you know this. I have this remarkable ability to to determine the mileage between two major U.S. cities. It's a, it's a, a weird skill that I have. But in this case, I'm going to say 58 miles. I'll Maybe say 53. It's not, okay, it, you you probably are closer, Eddie. You are both over. Oh, uh, 37, 45. Bingo. 45 miles. 45.4 miles. And if you're out there, that means 45.4 miles or two hours, right? Yeah. But oftentimes in San Francisco and in, you know in Candlestick. I have literally in my closet, I have probably eight different black fleece zip-ups from eight different times during IndyCar races when I have gone into San Francisco and you go down one of the hills and the temperature drops to like 55 degrees and you're freezing and you're like, I had forgotten Northern California is chilly. So then you go into like Chinatown and you buy one of the $10 fleeces. I have literally like a half a closet of them. Because you've continued to make that same mistake every Correct. time you're there? You would okay. think I'd learn, right? <laughs> or I'd forget like, oh man, I, I didn't know we were going to be going into the city and sure. whatever else. But my point being, like in, in the old candlestick, there was always whipping wind and I mean, it was crazy off the Bay weather. You know, you watch Giants games, San Francisco Giants games. People are always, but like super in the World Series, people be bundled up in, in October but Santa, so that's kind of what you're used to in the Bay Area. That was a gorgeous night. I don't know what the temperature was, but like the the aesthetics of that game last night looked like yeah. a bowl game or 
like a Pasadena Super Bowl. It looked like they were playing in the Rose Bowl. The, the background, I mean, it was gorgeous. And then on top of that, you know me. You get into, Jimmy, the the X's and O's of, like, you know, triple coverage and things like that. I look at the game, and I'm looking at the backdrop, and then the I was captivated. How good are those Lions uniforms, man? Beautiful. I mean, come on. And also, I don't know if it was because you had basically a onslaught of red jer- jerseys, as you would have, because, you know, it's Levi Stadium, and they're going to rep the hometown team. But the way the blue accented and stuck out when they showed those stadium oh. shots, when you have pockets of Lions fans, was totally. incredible. And, and we got robbed of some of that landscape, beautiful, picturesque setup when they played the Packers. Because it was drizzly and kind of cold and rainy. I'm pretty sure it was like 71 degrees at kick or right around there yesterday when they played. Uh, might, have been, might have been 65, but it was, it was in that range of just a picturesque day. What you could have asked for in an NFC Championship game featuring... A franchise on the rise and a franchise that even though they haven't hoisted a Lombardi in about 30 years are a staple in terms of figures of the sport. Now let me tell you what happened on the AFC side of things um, and then I want to get to how all of this affects the Colts Mm -hmm. and relates to the Colts. But on the AFC side of things, I thought Andy Reid drew up a master game plan and out-schemed John Harbaugh. I mentioned that earlier, but I think what they did, Jimmy, is they came out and said, we're going to ride Patrick Mahomes and be aggressive offensively early, get Baltimore down, and then force Baltimore. In other words, they kind of checkmated Baltimore of, we're going to put you in a situation where you then have to go through the air to contend with us, and you take away a dynamic to an extent of Baltimore of what makes them so dangerous, which is like the the ground attack and Lamar Jackson on the run. They, they got them down early to the point where they made Baltimore play catch up. And then at that point, Andy Reid just turned the screws and said, okay, now offensively we are going to be more conservative and we're going to ride our defense because we know what you're going to have to do against us. And yeah. it was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's maddening if you're a fan on one or the other, if a team goes into that kind of conservative shell because you can risk it biting you like Kansas City clearly was less aggressive and give credit to the Ravens as well they adjusted defensively in the second half but it was a masterful game play as you mentioned by Andy Reid and then a lot of credit to Steve Spagnuolo he's gotten credit across his years in those giant Super Bowl runs against the Patriots and and he's been a mainstay in Kansas City's runs the last couple of seasons this is the best defense they've had in probably a decade Baltimore was viewed as one of if not the top offense in the NFL especially running the football and what you're laying out there, Jake, is exactly what it was. Get a two-score lead and make them abandon the run. And if they're going to abandon the run and get into a passing situation, you are now making Lamar beat you in a way that I think he can, but he has shown in the past that it's not as high volume as when they're running and being the dictators of pace in a game like that. Here's the thing that jumps out at me about the Colts as I'm watching the weekend of championship games. I, I get home from the Pacer game. I turn on. I saw the end of the Kansas City-Baltimore game. Actually, we were at the game, and we went into the to the TV area to watch essentially the fourth quarter. So I saw in that game, as we talked about, the third and nine where Mahomes makes a play. And that's so Mahomes, right? But in addition to that, the way that Kansas City – ran the ball hard 
Jonathan Taylor's a fabulous talent. But truthfully, and you know, actually for that matter, Moss did this a little bit, but yep. Ahmad Bradshaw is the last, the thing I loved about Ahmad Bradshaw was when he was here was he was just a battering ram. When he got the ball, I mean, running up the middle, three-yard plays were always a six-yard play. And Kansas City did that yesterday, that's, right? That's Isaiah Pacheco to a T, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, completely. But they also were able to scheme for him to kind of open things up because they kept defenses honest. Now, then I watched the first – I get home and I turn on the San Francisco-Detroit game. And Detroit, in particular, comes out of the box and it's like they are all cylinders, rev limiter, like just their offense, they had playmakers. It was amazing. And all over the place playmakers, Mm -hmm. right? They're running sweeps. They're running, you know, into rounds. They're running deep ball passing. Goff is running – is playing in rhythm. And they're just – they just literally have athletes that are opening things up. And then San Francisco, once they got things rolling, Purdy was able to extend plays a lot and able to to extend drives when plays seemed to be breaking down. That improbability of him with his legs in particular was something that you don't see a ton from him game by game over the season. You know what it is, Jimmy. What is it? It's Purdy to watch. It is indeed. No, I mean, it's just to have that in the bag like that, that changes things because then you want to defend San Francisco in such a way. And now all of a sudden he's going to go do it with his legs and go get five, 10, 15 yards and extend drives. He was incredible in the craftiness in that regard. And then the, the other side of it is McCaffrey, who obviously when you get him in space and it took them a while to kind of get him uncorked. But my point being all four of those teams at different points. You know, with Baltimore, you know what you have in Lamar Jackson, obviously, but you've got to be able, and I think Lamar Jackson's a wonderful player. I mean, he's probably the MVP of the league. But it feels to me like when I'm watching those games, I know the Colts were really close this year, right? I know they were. Clearly they were close. They were a quarter away from making the playoffs, for crying out loud, and then once you get in, all bets are off. Who knows what can happen? But at the same time when you're watching that, it feels like they're way far away because they just don't have the in-space athletes and playmakers that you see out of everybody else. It's like they're they're you watch it. It's kind of like when you watch it at the college level and you think that, you know, you're a fan of for that matter like Indiana, Purdue, Notre Dame, whatever. And then you watch Alabama and Washington and, and and Ohio State, and you're like, okay, the this speed, isn't the same game. <laughs> the speed is totally different, right? This is not the same event. And I'm not saying the disparity is that big, but I do think that the Colts clearly need. It, it it has never been more illuminated than it was yesterday to me that while Anthony Richardson is a very intriguing talent, the thing that to me is glaring is that Michael Pittman Jr. needs like open space playmakers around him. And this is supposed to be a draft that is full of wide receiver talent and one of the biggest things that changed for Baltimore, aside from the fact that that was probably the best defense in football, the biggest thing that changed for them this offseason 
was getting Lamar Jackson weapons. And I know he's been around way longer than Anthony Richardson has, but they got him weapons and they hit it out of the park with Zay Flowers. He was a first round draft pick at wideout and he was arguably their most dynamic weapon, non Lamar Jackson on offense all year. And I know he self-destructed and cut his hand on the sideline and whatever, but all season he was as dynamic as you could ask for. He can do multiple things as a playmaker and a pass catcher. And that's the type of profile that you would want one of many players that fit that bill yesterday. But that's one that, again, happens in just a year because you hit on the right draft pick. Jimmy joins us on the program. Jimmy, I don't think, and I, were you at the game, Pacer game yesterday, Jimmy? I didn't see you there. I was not. I was watching Jimmy Chiefs. <laughs> well, it's good. All right, Jimmy, here's the thing. Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy, I have decided that you need a title within the company here. I, I mean, I know that you're a man of, of many shows here on on the fan, but we need to give you a title. Now, what title would you like here for Quarry and Company? Well, I'm, I'm sorry to correct you, Jake, but I thought originally once I called into your, your fine show that you did give me some Pacers-related title. I think um, that, that sounds right, Jimmy. How about um, – because you and I always enjoy a pregame handshake – uh, so, and I apologize for doubling down here because I, I probably had forgotten. You are the director of uh, pregame, pregame greeting and and luck. How's that? Because you always bring good uh, luck with the handshake. How's that? I, I love it. My my dad always calls me a mini Eddie White. So uh, I'm, a junior, <laughs> I'm a junior smoothing. So fair enough. All right. What did you think of that I, AFC Championship game? I was uh, I was very impressed with. Um, Kansas City's defense, honestly, and I know everyone talked about Mahomes and their offense, but that's not the way that they handled Lamar Jackson and um, and just Baltimore's offense in general. I was, I was very impressed. And uh, Jimmy, good luck in the Super Bowl. I'm pulling for you guys. And um, one last thing, great interview with Miles Turner, guys. I'm really looking forward to the rest of this Pacers season and, and being downtown for the All-Star activities. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy. Always good to hear from you. Yeah, man. The um, you know it's interesting. The All Star Game too. Back and I agree. Thanks for the Miles Turner comment. I um, the All Star Game is coming like faster than we realize here, mm-hmm. right? Miles Turner was talking about it just over two weeks. Um, and then the other side of what he was talking about, it, Jimmy, you had talked about Kansas City's defense, and you know. San Francisco has a really good pass rush, and and a lot's going to be made of that. But we have probably slept on how good this Kansas City defense is. To your point, it's probably the best one Mahomes has had, right? Yeah, it's easily the best one they've had. Their linebacking core, which they were absent one of their star pieces in Willie Gay the last game and a half, is exceptional. They have, I would put, their secondary up with anybody in the National Football League. Maybe Cleveland takes that title this year because they were so good. But their secondary is great, and they're led up in the trenches by Chris Jones, who is effectively in a contract year. It's likely his last year as a chief based on where negotiations have gone, but they just have a lot of guys that are playing with a chip on their shoulder, and I don't want to discredit what the Chiefs did offensively in that first half against Baltimore because they executed a game plan, as you mentioned, Jake. They got a lead and they held it, but because of how good the Ravens were defensively, Kansas City didn't score in the second half. Now, in part because the Chiefs went more conservative, but it was their defense that closed that game out. The interception by Deion Bush, Zay Flowers at the half-yard line, and LeJarrius Sneed punching the football out. Like they, they made plays that you need elite defenses to make, 
if that's what you're going to ride into the Super Bowl. San Francisco is a great team. I think it's going to be a great Super Bowl overall, but their defense can hang with just about anybody. And what they did to a Baltimore team that it appeared it was Lamar Jackson's year, you got to give all the credit in the world to Steve Spagnuolo and that Chiefs defensive room. Yeah, they were good. I mean, admittedly, admittedly they were good. Uh, did you watch, speaking of good, let's go to the opposite of that. Did you watch in Purdue yesterday, big win for them at Rutgers, right? Yep. Zach Eady, 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds now in a career. I don't know what else there is really to say about Purdue at this point. They've got good guard play. They've gotten... Um, it just feels like they have more versatile weapons to go around Edie than they did a year ago, like we talked about earlier. And I know that that's broken record to say it that way, but but I mean, man, they're good. I, I just and it's not just pieces that they've added. It's guys like Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer who a year ago get their hearts ripped out against FDU, and they are the ones that take the large load of that blame because there were missed shots and lack of confidence. And you have to sit with that for an entire offseason. And not only have they improved, and it appears they've ironed those issues out with their games, and yes, they've added pieces as well in the offseason, but they've gotten to a point where it no longer looks like you can point to one clear thing with confidence and say, that's the way you beat Purdue. There's not a clear formula other than, hey, outscore them and turn the ball over, which is it's a very simple thing know, to say. Smith is playing. He is... He is such a good point guard mm-hmm. just in terms of he's unflappable. He's He knows exactly where the ball needs to go. And, you know, Lance Jones has been big for them. I mean, he, to me, that's the – I know X factor, but, you know, a lot of people thought going into the year, probably myself included, that maybe like Mason Gillis or Miles Colvin would continue to be like it or, or that Miles Colvin could be an X factor and Mason Gillis would continue to be – Gillis is a really good player and and you know somebody asked me the other day they're like how many teams would would Mason Gillis potentially not be like the leading scorer on in the Big 10 if he were to transfer I'm like yeah you're right I mean he he can do a lot of different things for you but their ability to play within a team structure is so impressive but Lance Jones for a guy yeah. that was not on the roster a year ago to come in and just the way he has and and answered the bell for them and given them reliable scoring I to me, and they've kind of, Purdue has gone through a few players like that, but this is the best fit, seemingly, of a guy like that to come in. And it speaks as well to the volumes of culture with Matt Painter, because you have a group that's on a mission, and you bring in another piece from outside that did not go through those struggles you went through a year ago. What's your locker room like? What is your chemistry like on that team? Is that going to sink you, or is it going to elevate you? And it's done the latter. It has elevated them that they have an embarrassment of riches at times in terms of what they're able to do, both from an offensive and defensive standpoint. And look, 19-2 and two and 8-2 and two in the Big Ten. That's unbelievable, right? Now, the other side of that's Indiana, who went 0-9 from three-point range at Illinois, 12-22. of 22. Really good point was made to me when I said, you're not going to win many games in the Big Ten where you're 0-9 from three-point range and you miss 10 free throws. And <laughs> I thought... I thought a really good point was made back to me that said, I don't know if that says more about the team that loses doing that or the team that barely beats them. Yeah. I I have a hard time with Indiana this year. I think a lot of people do. But I told you this last week when we talked to Mike DeCourcy, even before the Illinois game, season's over for them. Totally. Like, like, like they can, I don't know how they make the tournament from here, right? No, they, you I mean, have Jimmy, to, think about that. Think about what I just yeah. said. I know that's what you're saying, right? Yeah. Indiana might not make the tournament. 
I mean, I want Indiana fans to hear that. You guys get into like the rankings of you know, Ken Palm and things like that more than do I, admittedly. But where are they right now? The, what, 100th? Yeah, 97th, 100th, somewhere I mean, other. they're not even in sniffing distance of... I don't even think they would make the NIT. I mean, right now they are, what, 12 and 8, right? Yes. Now, they got a chance here to pick up two at home. They should win Iowa Northwestern. That puts them at 14 and 8. But then it gets real again. They got to go back out on the road. They literally, like... The old joke, I mean, Indiana should be called the possums, right? Because, you know what I mean? They play dead at home and get killed on the road. I mean, like, they – this is a team that coming into the year, you had guys like smoking cigars and doing dances on on TikTok because they got Khalil Ware who needed 250K just to come and make a visit. And then – and he's a good player. He is a good player. Don't get me wrong. And Mackenzie and Baco is – supposed to be the best shooter in the history of Indiana basketball and like when he's all alone at the end of practice I guess maybe that's the the truth but they have better talent than this they look lifeless they look disinterested I actually thought they played fairly well all all things told against Illinois they at least gave some effort and Malik Renew I feel bad for because Malik Renew that poor guy's doing what he can at any but Malik Renew reminded me in that Illinois game of Daryl Thomas as a junior having to play center when he's not really a center. He's more of a forward, but he's got to do what he can. I, look, here's why the Illinois loss bugs me more than anything else if I'm an IU fan. Because you're right. They looked good at stretches. They came out swinging out of the gate. They're in control for the first five, seven minutes of that ball game, and it's a game late. But you knew the end of the story. And you knew the end of the story because they can't hit free throws and they're a bad three-point shooting team. I don't care if the numbers show them as, oh, well, they have a good percentage here, here, here in the Big Ten. Well, that's because they're taking like seven and they're making three. And if that's the way you're going to play, that's fine, but you have to be perfect everywhere else. And down the stretch of that game where it's like, can they close it out? Can they defeat Illinois? You're thinking to yourself, what are, especially with this state where basketball matters the most, what's the one thing that every parent and every kid are always enamored by? Making free throws and hitting three-pointers. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, that's just that's how I grew up in the state. Like, I love a lot of things about basketball, but I'm not, I'm not dunking. I don't have a vertical leap, but I love to shoot threes, and I like to take free throws. They're bad at both, and in order to, let alone make the tournament, to advance in March, what are we saying with Purdue and a team that, like, could beat them? A team with better guard play. There is sometimes non-existent guard play with Indiana. Galloway has flashes. Xavier Johnson's been there for 30 years. But the two things you needed to hang around or beat Illinois, and you've had it on a number of occasions this season, are knockdown shooters and high-efficient free-throw shooters. And you have none. And if regardless of where you are with Woodson, if this is a hot-seat conversation or anything... This year's done. I, I don't next think it is. Year, That's the thing. I, I don't think it is, but but next year this can't be a thing. I'm willing to let one year go. But how many times have we said that? With him, I I, I don't know that I've no, I don't know that I've said fair, it. but I'm saying with Indiana basketball, man. I mean, yeah, look, correct. Like how many times how, how many years? Yeah. A decade and a half now. Have we said the same thing? Well, you know, now this year I you know, it was a disappointment. They, they that can't happen next year. 
Because if it is, then Tom Crean's out, and we're going to we're going to get that guy from Dayton. This year it was a disappointment, but it can't happen next year because if it does, Archie Miller's out, and we're going to have to go out and get somebody else and, and and bring in Brad Stevens. Well, Brad Stevens didn't want to come here, so Mike Woodson's going to. And this year is, I mean, it's just nonstop, right? But it can't become a program. You could argue wherever it is right now, and it, it's not the blue blood that it was, but it can't become a program where it's a four-year destination revolving door cycle of let's give this guy a chance. Uh, Hey, Jake, what a terrible show today. Thought you'd be better prepared. There are hundreds of coaches no one has ever heard of who never deviated from the scheme like the Lions coach. Doing the same thing and wanting a different outcome is crazy. Kansas City and San Francisco is a classic matchup. To downplay the teams who fought their way to the final game shows ignorance I would expect from a novice. Saying you're bored with excellence is not very becoming of a professional. Hell yeah. Thank you for listening to the program. By the way, the uh, Lions, I don't have the exact figure in front of me, but on go-for-it situations like that this year, they were like 17 of 20. Right, that's what I mean. 17 of 23. That's what like I'm saying. Act, like We act, can't applaud exactly. it all Correct. season long and then Correct. suddenly throw a guy into the bus because it didn't work out for him, and right? And it goes back to design and execution. It, it, and it goes back to good play calls and high-efficiency coaching that Dan Campbell exemplified all year. I don't agree with every go-for-it that he had in that game, but... To mock it now when you celebrated earlier, you you can't have it both ways. By the way, Max, stick around. We'll get to you, and you can uh, also tell me that I'm unbecoming a professional. And then Mike Chappell, who is a pro, going to join us in 30. Before we get to Max, here's a Super Bowl question for you, Jimmy Cook. You ready? Lay it on me. The Super Bowl is in Las Vegas, right? Yes. So, also in Las Vegas is U2 in the Sphere, which is a highly coveted show that people, like, if you're going to be in Las Vegas, like, I, I think you guys know I'm going out there at the end of February for it. I'm not a big concert guy, but I want whatever photos, pictures, I want to live vicariously through you when yeah, you're out there. Yeah, and I, and I get it. And I also get that, like, U2, you know, U2's heyday was a while ago, I mean, admittedly. But, you know, there are, for example, I was talking to, like, I mean, I guess I could say, like, you know, Chris Hagen's going out there for work, right? And so he's like, hey, I want to go to the Sphere and see the show because I'm going to be in Vegas. Now, the the YouTube shows at the Sphere have been sold out for ever. I mean, they're all sold out. So you got to go secondary market. Now, I was saying, <laughs> I'm like, here's the thing. Do you, if you're buying tickets to the Sphere to see U2 for the Super Bowl weekend, and you're on the secondary market, meaning the prices have fluctuate all over the place, right? Do you grab them now before people that are going to the Super Bowl start buying them and the tickets go up? Or do you wait like a day because there's the possibility that fans of Detroit or Baltimore had bought tickets in anticipation of being there for Super Bowl weekend, and then now that the day or two passes and the reality kicks in that they're not going now they are selling their tickets and there's a surplus you mean just for you two like ravens and lions fans got ahead of the curve they bought them and now they're like oh we're not going correct or do you think do you think you have to buy them now because it would just be sold out in general you know what i mean i'd get it i'd get them now on the secondary market because it's a numbers game and if i was a holder of u2 tickets let's say i had bought them whenever they launched whenever they were released to the public however many months or a year ago i don't know when this happened I would have had the foresight to have looked when the Super Bowl is if I happen to have tickets for that date, and I already would have had them through the roof. Yeah. 
So I'm curious, secondary market sellers or merchants, whoever it is, it's if they were ahead of the curve I mean, with that. The ones that I bought have doubled since then. Really? It's crazy. That makes you feel good, though, right? It does, yeah. Like, as a buyer, whenever you see something totally. and then you it goes me? up, you're like, oh, man, pat myself on the back. Of course. But then there's also, I've been burnt the other way, right, where you buy them and then you're like, yeah. oh, my gosh. I just would have waited. Yeah. Max has been waiting and joins us on the program. Hi, Max. How are you? Hey, how we doing, guys? Not bad. Yourself? By the way, are you out driving around, Max? What are we doing today? Uh, actually, I am a DoorDash driver, so yes, oh, really? I am. Uh, just yeah. out of curiosity, if you don't mind me asking, Max, the last delivery you made, what were the folks eating? Uh, actually, it was a uh, fresh thyme grocery order. Oh, okay. Well, that's not bad. And uh, and you, there was some organic celery, some organic <laughs> chicken broth, you know, stuff like that. Right, and, and so healthy, folks. Right, obviously. Now, uh, Max, when you're out driving around, and we appreciate that you listen to the program while doing so. But a day as a DoorDash guy consists like of how long for you? Like, like, do you get up and you have specific times you're working, or do you just kind of do it when you have free time? How does that work? Uh, no, I actually do it full time. I I used to. Uh, uh, my family had an upholstery business, but uh, my back will no longer allow me to do it. So right. now I do this. Okay, but what I'm saying is, like, do you 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 make your own schedule, right? Yes. So do you just uh, I bas- do you get I, up and say like I'm going to start at nine and go till five and you know just treat it like you know normal gig you, hours? You have to do it like it to schedule the way I do. I have to do it a week in advance. Okay. So I schedule every day around five o'clock. Uh, a, a week later, and then if I don't want to work that day, then I cancel it. Well, Max, you are the d- the director of delivery for the company. Is that cool with you? That was absolutely when I uh, when you started the show and started giving uh, titles to everybody. When I finally called in, that's what I was going to ask for. All right, there you go. You're the director of delivery. Now, the name of the show is Query and Company, and my understanding is that you have a query for Jimmy, correct? I do. Okay. Uh, first of all, the Def Leppard reentry was perfect for me. Uh, <laughs> Hell yeah. The second thing, because uh, you guys were talking, and I'm like, God, I had a quick question, and now they keep adding all this stuff. Uh, the other guy with the professional stuff, good Lord, um, the IU take that you guys just did, I had the exact same rant on my Facebook I'm like, how do you have Indiana on your jersey and you cannot hit a jump shot or a free throw? That is just that it, it just goes against anything Indiana. Hard uh, to argue that. Hard to argue that. Yeah, right there with you. My my last thing is this is a hypothetical, but uh, Jimmy's the KC guy. Is Chris Jones, which little I've seen of him, seems like he could be versatile enough to move to defensive end pair him with Buckner, and just destroy people next year. Yeah, he's definitely versatile enough. I mean, you're going to have to fork over some cash, but what they've done with him is they like to move him around the line. In a lot of ways, like other great defensive players, they'll find a weak spot or find where there's likely to be even a double team and move him there based on situational matchups. He can play the edge. He can play defensive tackle. Now, in the middle is where his true natural position is, but you'll see all the time them line him up in different spots to keep coordinators guessing on the other side of the ball. Now, in terms of his availability, uh, what is his contractual status? He's going to be a free agent this okay, year. Okay, so how much would he require? Um, I mean, you're you're looking at – I can't remember what the figure was. He already Ken gave City the Colts him. one win in his career, right? He did. <laughs> with a, uh, I still with a critical penalty? You're my only hope, I think, in this investigative work needs to be... I just want to know what he said to Matt Ryan. 
That's all I care about. I just want to know what he said uh, to warrant a flag. That's it. Allegedly, it was a slur, right? Okay. And how do I word which slur it yeah, was? Yeah, that's all. I don't need to know specific stuff. But it, whatever okay, how, it was, I this? just wanted it to be enough to know that like... Allegedly, it was... Uh, did you ever eat those cookies, uh, Newtons? Big Newtons? Yes. Similar to that. Yep, yep, yep. But he wasn't referring to the physicist. Yep. That that supposedly is who it was. But again, great player, no question about it. Um, and I mean, what does a player like that demand? How old is he, first off? He's 29. So you're going to get a couple of good years. I mean, look, DeForest Buckner's been an, an absolute... I know that there was – think about this. DeForest Buckner, if he's still on San Francisco, I mean, you yeah. know, he, DeForest Buckner is a great player. I don't know if he'll get this. Kansas City offered him two years, 54 and a half, fully guaranteed. He turned it down. I think he's going to ask $30 million a year. I don't know if he'll get that, but I think that's what he asked for. Here's the thing, though, to Max's point, talking about the Colts. If if the Colts have that kind of money and want to spend it, I'm telling you right now, I watched – it's a copycat league. Always has been. And in watching yesterday, and I'm not – this is the case. These guys don't grow on trees, I realize, right? But just dynamic playmakers. Mm-hmm. That's what the Colts need. I mean, Josh Downs is a nice player. He's a good player. No, no doubt about it. But – you look at players that just get the ball in space and you know I and then from there it's just open season. That that's you know what they need? Here's what the Colts need. When I was a kid, this is you ready for a weird Jake Quarry analogy? I know that they're the probably only reason all I come weird, into right? work every day. <laughs> Sure. When I was a kid, and I can't be the only person that this applies to, but I so vividly remember sitting in the back of my parents' car while we, you know, running errands or whatever on rainy days and watching. Have you, now be honest, Jimmy, because maybe I'm the only one that's ever done this. Okay. Have you ever sat and watched, if you're a passenger in a car and it's raining outside? Have you ever watched, like, picked a raindrop and watched it go all the way down the yes the window? Yes, I have. Okay, it's been a minute since I've done that, but yes, I have. And sometimes they merge together, it and can, then sometimes it picks up speed. When it's they like get the plinko. Yep. You're like trying yes. to figure out where it's going to go. Yeah. The Colts need raindrop windshield guys, <laughs> guys that like once they get going, yeah. you just don't know where it's going to go, but they just pick up steam and they find open space, and you're like, holy cow, look how fast it got to the bottom. And I don't know that they have that. They've got a really good player, Michael Pittman, no doubt about it. And Josh Downs is a nice piece, no doubt about it. But in terms of Jonathan Taylor out of the backfield, I get it. But like you look at Detroit or you look at San Francisco and even Kansas City. Kansas City's is kind of hard to tell because so much of that is facilitated by the dynamic play of the quarterback. And maybe that's where the Colt, maybe that's the key ingredient here for the right. Colts is we don't know what Anthony Richardson is, right? Is he Lamar Jackson? Is he Mahomes? Is he the, a, a combination of the two? I don't know. There were a plethora of reasons why Kansas City traded away Tyreek Hill a couple of years ago 
But that's the player you're talking about. A playmaker, dynamic, all-elite player, and they got rid of him. But but, But I'm saying they got rid of him, to your point about the quarterback, because they trusted him and they had another worldly tight end. They felt like they could get away with that. What your point is with the Colts is maybe with Anthony Richardson, that's the case at some point where you can get away with not having all-worldly playmakers everywhere. But you can make the argument right now, Jake, there's not one on the field that does it the way you're talking about. You know, so the the point, though, is speed kills. Yes. Right? And, and, and in the NFL, a few years ago, the Colts tried to, I, I think, you know, run the damn ball, right? The Colts tried to, to, to revert back to... Yeah, Quentin, man, like we drafted you and you're going to be like John Hanna, you know, I mean, you're a guy that, and, and the Colts tried to revert back to like old school football and I get it, but when you look at the greatest era in Colts history, one thing that Bill Polian did was he looked at it and said, okay, we play at minimum 50% of our games indoors. The St. Louis Rams, the greatest show on turf, the the offense that that blew the lid open that Mike Martz came up with in the, in the late '90s, and I'm going on the way back, but 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 before that, you had the West Coast offenses, and you know Jerry Rice was a dynamic player, but that was route running, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden the Rams schemed up like you know what, let's use guys like Isaac Keem and Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce and Marshall Falk and Ernie Conwell and Ricky Prohl and just literally. Joe Tiller level basketball on grass. Okay. And Polian did the same thing because both of those teams, what do the St. Louis Rams and the Indianapolis Colts have in common? They both figured out, you know what? We play 50% of our games at minimum on, on turf indoors. So let's just go speed kills. And the Colts went out and they got Marvin Harrison and they got Reggie Wayne and they had Edron James. And they were like, we're just going to play fast and we're going to get out to leads and then we're going to draft two book in pass rushers because we know teams are going to have to throw the ball to, ke- to keep up with us and it was built for speed and then the Colts got away from that and said you know after the, the luck era and what you know we're going to slow it down and we're going to go back to the basics and we're going to go back to old school football and I give them credit for trying something unconventional, but it didn't work. So you got to go back now to being copycat league, speed kills, and you have the advantage of the fact that you're playing indoors on a turf, a little bit different turf than what you had in the RCA Dome, but you're playing indoors where you can have speed. They don't have enough open space speed. They just don't, and that's what they need. Especially with Anthony Richardson, Jake, you cannot afford to be an old school team with a totally. quarterback like that. And, and and we're going off assumption of what he's going to be, Correct. right? Yes. I mean, we don't know definitively what he's going to be, but we're going off assumption of what he's going to be. But man, I mean, now the other side of that is, you know, looking at Detroit, San Francisco plays that same kind of style, right? Once they got going. But you look at Detroit, and I think the thing that hurts so bad for that, Jimmy, is you don't know you have no idea they may never get back to that spot. And that's why I appreciated Campbell's honesty post Totally. Because he said he doesn't think this is going to happen. The guys don't believe that's going to happen in terms of his players, but he acknowledged the mortality of the situation, which is, that might have been your best shot. It's the reality of the moment. And to be able to have that understanding of it, like I appreciated his rawness there, because oftentimes when you get there, it gets overlooked of, oh, this is going to be a thing every year. That it's just going to be a normal thing. And regardless of who you root for, even with me rooting for Kansas City, like it's not lost on me 
This is the golden era of Chiefs football. Like right. I'm not. It's not lost to me. That could end tomorrow. And from the Lions' standpoint, you had this great run. But as he highlighted, your division's going to get better. Everybody's aware of you now. If they weren't before, and maybe they do overcome it and they get back and they reach the top of the mountain. But the reality of it, and he pointed it out as clear as day, it might not be. That might have been their best shot. Uh, this, by the way, from Skivvies. I, I assume that that's a, a safe term for me to use. Uh, when we watch playoff games, it's apparent how few playmakers the Colts have and how slow they are. I, I, I mean, I hate to agree, but I agree, right? They, ha- they have good pieces, but you have to have that piece. They don't have it right now. And that's why, Jake, you highlighted this when the press conference happened. Maybe we're just reading tea leaves. But the pause on his assessment of Alec Pierce, if Alec Pierce had another dynamic aspect of him other than just a deep threat, and maybe it's based on utilization, maybe it's based on who, where Minshew was there, but if he had that separator ability like a guy like Zay Flower, especially across the middle of the field, that's the type of dynamic play that you'd want. And I ultimately think that might be one of the position groups or lack, lack thereof, for a better word, that specific player is the one that likely sees an upgrade in this year's draft. You know what I want? I want guys, and this is college-level football. Mm-hmm. I want guys that can do a bubble screen. Like, I want guys that, if you're a linebacker or a defensive back, and you see that guy getting ready to turn a corner, you're like, oh my God, I have no idea where this guy's going. <laughs> he may he may cut inside and be gone on a slant. He may bop around for six yards and dive out of bounds real quick. I have no idea, but I have no idea where this guy's going. And I just don't feel like they have that right now, right? Just don't feel like they have that. Um, Something kind of cool, but also kind of sad took place over the weekend in Indianapolis. I'll tell you about that next, and Chap joins us in 12. Jimmy, you did what this weekend that did not involve the National Football League? Watched some Pacers and called some high school hoops. Okay. Uh, You had who in the high school game? Uh, for the Ron Colley boys side, it was a double header or not double header. Sorry. Back to back. They had covenant Christian on Friday, which they lost and they bounced back on Saturday with a win over Greenwood. Eddie, you did what over the weekend that did not involve running the board for the Pacer game? Oh, no, a whole lot of nothing. Whole lot of nothing. Yep. Okay. It was kind of a weekend for that. Was it not? Yeah. It was just gloomy, rainy. I mean, Saturday was just terrible. Like a classic January, man. You talked about it in terms of months. If you could just kind of get around it. Is there a harder weather condition to drive in than January evening in the rain? Do you remember last week we were making jokes about looking through the rear view and how eerie it was? Yes. Girls team at a game at Columbus North on Thursday night. That drive back was one of the more harrowing drives I've been a part of because it was so foggy and just incredibly terrifying to try to figure out where you were going. I did do something Saturday night. I did go out to dinner. Olivia and I went out to dinner with her mom. We went to um, Some Guys. It's a good place. Love Some Guys. Uh, did you go? There were multiple locations, right? Mm, I think there's only one. I thought they had one in Carmel. Did you go 62nd in Allisonville? Yep. Um, who paid? Did, did mom pay? Did you buy mom's dinner? No comment. Yeah, you should. That's a good way to kiss up by mom's dinner for her, Eddie. Um, so if you were at 62nd and Allisonville at some guys on Saturday, you could have gone just a couple of miles directly to your west and been where I was. And that is, we went on Saturday night because Sunday, sadly, was the final day at Hopcat. Hopcat and Broderpool, um, I think there were probably a number of factors that kind of did in Hopcat, I, COVID obviously being one of them. It's a huge space. And so 
the rent there has to be pretty high, I would imagine. And the corporate, they have multiple locations in Michigan. They have one in, I can't remember where the other, it might be Kansas City or like a weird, somewhere outside of Michigan. But Michigan, Indianapolis, their main locations. And um, the corporate office decided to close the one here for, quote, underperformance. I don't think the staff got a lot of heads up on that, and that was disappointing. But I knew that it was closing. It, it's a place that I had always enjoyed over the years. Um, they were around for maybe 10 years or so. But it's a great location. I love the fact that they used to have over 100 beers on tap. That that number has dwindled significantly. But we went in there for, you know, since they were closing on Sunday, we went Saturday night to to kind of bid it a farewell and have a last beer. And we walked in, the place was packed, which was good to see. I mean, obviously too little too late, right? But um, it was packed because people, I think, were wanting to do the same that we were doing. So we walk in and I said, you know, hey, we're just going to get a beer. And the guy says, well, just so you know, our computers are down. And if we don't get them running in the next 15 minutes, then we can't charge anybody for anything. Um, so I don't know that we can take your order, but everybody basically is eating and drinking for free at that point. <laughs> and I thought, well, I guess what the hell, take the whole thing down, right? They did get the computers up and running and all as well. That ended well. Everybody was taken care of. But um, so we went there and enjoyed it. It was good to be in there for the last time, but it, it did make me sad. I mean, Father Time's undefeated. I get it. You know, things constantly change and evolve what i'm curious about now is what becomes of that location because it's a massive spot right on the corner of broader avenue and college on the southwest corner there was I, i've heard the discussion that they may just put in more apartments in there there's a parking garage there too so i don't know how they if they would take the parking garage down mm-hmm. i have no idea um did you ever go into hopcat i did yeah we went uh end of last year we usually do, they have like Sullivan's Hardware as this like Christmas right. train, Christmas town thing. So we'd always go to Hopcat beforehand. And uh, yeah, always enjoyed it. Um, sad to see any spot, especially a local establishment go. And you know, Broderpool in general, I mean, that's a whole different talk show. But as somebody who worked in Broderpool right there along the avenue at Hardwick's Pipe and Tobacco for the better part of the second half of the 90s, really, uh, yeah, I loved everything about it. I mean, I loved all of the different establishments, and it's just sad that building where Hardwick's was is completely empty now. Um, the shoe repair place might be, still be there, but um, you know, there are a lot of places that I think are, are are just struggling around the city, and it's hard to think that because you feel like we're out of the pandemic. But man, it was just such a dent for so long for people. This Tough is to overcome it. This is guy from chair that knows nothing about how this would be accomplished. But I would love someday, especially for parts of Broad Ripple, for the same type of revitalization that you saw with Bottle Works over at the garage. Like, I feel like Broad Ripple was built for that, like that type of... Right. That type of look, that totally. type of feel. Totally. Uh, they had an awesome food court in Broad Ripple years ago that then became the basement of C.T. Peppers. Um, and and for whatever... You know, the parking in Broad Ripple is a whole different talk show, right? That, that becomes a challenge, <laughs> yeah. too, so... Maybe that's a factor in it. Mike Chappell, CBS4, WXIN, Colts Conversation, next. If you are just joining us, uh, where have you been? Earlier today on the program, Don Fisher joined us, explained that a little bit of a head cold had knocked his voice out for the Indiana-Illinois game on Saturday. John Herrick, our colleague who works at WIBC, capably filling in, but Don 
expects to be back on the mic this week for Indiana. Then shortly after that, Miles Turner, Pacers center, joined us on the program. Yes, Eddie? I think uh, Don Fisher will even be on the mic tonight for Inside IU Basketball with Mike Woodson. And that airs at what time? 7.05. Thank you. Precisely right here on these airwaves. And again, uh, Miles Turner going to be... From what he told us, back on the floor for the Pacers, he missed the game yesterday in their win against Memphis, expects to play in Boston tomorrow night. Miles Turner informing us of that earlier in the show. Now joining us on the program to talk not only about the Super Bowl, but probably some of the conversation we were having about the Colts. It is Mike Chappell from WXIN and CBS Channel 4 joining us on the show. Uh, Chap, did you enjoy the AFC and NFC Championship games, I presume? Oh, really? It's great stuff, and, it, and it's even greater when there's so much controversy that people talk about it for a week. That that's what makes the NFL the NFL. Here's what I was saying. One of the things, you know, in in regards to Dan Campbell, um, my my thought on it, chap, and I want you to feel free to disagree with me here. Look, we're going to make a lot about, and you're going to hear a lot about probably for the next year until the Lions kick off again, if not beyond that, the decision to go for it on not one but two fourth downs in the second right. half, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And my thing was this. If we're going to champion a guy and pat a guy on the back and fall in love with a guy over the course of a year because of the fact that he just does it his way and doesn't, you know, does things unconventionally and is aggressive and unconventional – then we can't all of a sudden pick and choose when we decide to call him out for it. We have to basically say, you know what? In the sake of consistency, that's who he's been all year. And if we loved him for it all year long, then we got to applaud him for staying true to who he is. I'll give you that. And that that's kind of what got Brandon Staley fired uh, with one of the Chargers. It, it, I understand that. And you can stay true to yourself, yet let the situation – walk you off the ledge, I guess. I would have kicked the last one. For sure. The, the, the second one was the more egregious, right? I thought so. I mean, what was it, 48 yards? And I understand, you know, that, that the kicker, uh, Badgley, was not very good with the 75% kicker from that far. Then, then that's on the team. That's on the team for having a kicker that is so limited. What I would love to know, and we're never going to find out, is did he go for both fourth downs because – that's who he is, Campbell, or because he didn't trust his kicker. Or his defense. Uh, or his defense. Oh, they're, they're, he could have kicked the field goal, tied the game, and then and then the Niners go down and score, and then and then so we're not having this discussion. I just think there's certainly a time and a place to be aggressive. We saw it with Shane Steichen. And there's a time, uh, I, I go back to the Baltimore game, or the Ravens game in Baltimore when, very early on, he determined that this was the kind of game it was going to be, and they weren't going to do their level best to not turn the ball over and <laughs> and hope Matt Gay set an NFL record with 50-yard field goals. There's a time and a place for aggression. I just thought, and I saw where both the ESPN analytics said that was sort of a coin flip on each one on probability to win. I'd like to have known what it was converting fourth and one, fourth and two, as opposed to converting a 48-yard field goal. I, I I love aggression. I shouldn't say that because I'm, I'm not a risky person when there's money on the line. But I understand when when you when you're aggressive. I just thought the second time was tie the game. Yeah, you know, if you make the field or tie the game, uh, 
and then let your defense make some plays. So yeah, it, it's. But the, you're right. That's going to. But that, but like I said, that's that's what's kind of cool about the NFL is these shows for the next ten days. It's you know, it, did, did, did the Niners win or did the, did the Lions lose? Well, probably a little bit of both. But you know, it was like the Minnesota game two years ago when they scored when the Colts blew the 33-0 lead. You, you, they needed help along the way, and the Colts gave more than enough help, as did the Lions. Man, I'll tell you what the you, you could feel, chap. It always cracks me up. It's you know the age old debate in sports like is momentum a real thing or is it not? Right. I, if anybody that and I'm a believer that it is right because I mean in playing sports you know I I knew because you could just kind of feel it when things are slipping away and when all of a sudden like everything's going san francisco's way and when when you have the bounced face mask sure interception that turns into like a 50 plus yard reception right if that's not the definition of momentum from the dictionary i have no idea what it is right, right. yeah it, it, that was that was a great catch but 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 it was it was almost a fluke i mean you put yourself in that position but watch that still photo of of him behind the play and you're thinking, well, at the very worst, it was knocked down and maybe intercepted, and then no, fifty some yard reception. That that's why may, maybe the field goal would have would have quieted things down a little bit. I don't know, maybe not, maybe not. But it, it, you need a play. I, I, I remember the uh, AFC Championship game, Colts and, and, and Patriots, and once the Colts got going, man, it was just it was hard to stop. Whether it was Brian Fletcher's catch, whether it was Reggie. Whether it was, you know, Joe Adai going in and just Saturday pancake and Wolfark, it, it's hard to stop things. It really is. Maybe the field goal would have stopped it, and maybe it would have. Dean Mike Chapel of Fox Food Nine and CBS Four is our guest. Chap, I heard this nationally a couple of times in the last twelve hours, and since you covered the history of those rivalries, and Ed would know better than anybody in the market, I want to get your perspective on it. The parallels are going to be drawn with where Mahomes is on a trajectory standpoint and the Brady conversation is always going to be had. But there's also the second half of that conversation of Andy Reid and Bill Belichick. And a lot of people nationally point to what Kansas City was able to do in that game, get a two-possession lead, and then rely heavily on your defense to close things out. Did that remind you at all of the Patriots teams that at times got the better end of Indy because they had, at times, a better defense? They generally had a better defense, and Peyton's numbers really reflected that. Yeah, it, it, it was strange because that, that's not generally how Kansas City has won games. Right. They've been more explosive, and that was pretty much a a, a Mahomes auto game with, with Kelsey. So it was really kind of fun to watch. And it, it was interesting to watch Mahomes not force the issue. I don't know what he averaged per attempt, I don't know, six yards maybe an attempt, but he never really forced the issue. And that's what Brady seldom did was force the issue. So, sorry about that. So, yeah, I, I think there was a lot of that to that. And I would think given the chance in the off season, the Chiefs are going to try to reload in some spots because they still, you know, they, they still don't have the, their normal complement of the way they want to beat you. But they had just enough. And boy, I tell you, Mahomes is awfully good. I mean, it, it, you just thought 
you know, back when, when things weren't going well, I'm, you know, this is the year that they can't do it because of people around him. And, and this is what that quarterback does. He gives you a chance. He lifts people around him. I mean, I'm not saying Kelsey. Kelsey's that good anyway. But he makes everybody else, you know, puts them in position to make plays. Uh, anyone who's bet against Mahomes, you know, you want to say, why? What do you, what do you need to see? It makes you think he can't get it done to to go on the road and beat Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. I thought the comparison you were going to go to was Lamar Jackson and Peyton Manning, because early in their careers, they didn't get much done. There were some there were some MVPs and all that, and, and and you know Peyton was one of those on those one and done runs, which Lamar Jackson has got it until he until he does it. Uh, he's not, he's not in that in that area, and to think that Brock Purdy's going to get there and Lamar Jackson won't or can't, it, 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 it's not an indictment of, of Lamar Jackson, but he didn't play very well. And when the other quarterback plays as flawlessly as Mahomes, it, it's hard to beat him. Chap, I sent this tweet last night, and I mentioned this earlier on the show, and, I, and this just marvels me. Okay. Of the quarterbacks who have started four Super Bowls, and I don't mean more than four, I mean literally just four Super Bowls, Patrick Mahomes, assuming he starts the game, is going to join Jim Kelly, Terry Bradshaw, Joe Montana, Roger Staubach, and Peyton Manning. At the age of 28, which man, which Mahomes is right now, he is younger than Kelly, Staubach, and Manning were in their first Super Bowl. That's what I'm saying. These guys generally it takes you a while to kind of unbelievable, right? Go through the growing pains, and then you get there. And then once you get there, it's a little bit easier, a little bit easier to get back and, and finish the job. But that, that's what again, but to name Mahomes as the greatest of all time. Come on, let's let's you know let's let him play longer. But it, it's the, the beginning is, is certainly there. With, with piling up the, these trophies, and we'll see if they if they can beat the Niners. They, I, I'm not again. I wouldn't bet against it. I, if it's down between Brock Purdy and Patrick Mahomes, I know who I'm betting on. I, I've always said Mahomes is Steph Curry on football because, like, he kind of changed the 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 way. Like, he he gets into grooves where you just know the pass is going to be completed. You know what I mean? It's like Side no arm, other player behind the back, yeah. no look somehow. Yeah. Um, now, that said, Chap, Mike Chappell's our guest from WXIN and WTTV CBS Channel 4. I, my question for you is this. When you watch those games yesterday, to me, it kind of illuminates how far off the Colts are. And I know they were an eyelash from the playoffs this year, and I know Anthony Richardson probably changes things aesthetically for them. But... Am I correct in saying, Mike, that they simply need more playmakers and guys in space? That's, that's what this. That's what this league's all about. It's you know you've got yeah, yes, it's a fifty-three man roster. More than that with the practice squad. This is still a star league, playmaking league, pass rushers, you know, left tackles who who can hold up, quarterbacks, tight ends, which the Colts in, in the past have had some pretty good tight ends, and now they need to to kind of reinforce that area and the quarterback. And if you've got those five or six players, I'd throw running back in there. Uh, I think, I think Taylor can be that kind of a guy, but no, there's no question. And that's going to be the charge to, to Chris Ballard and his personnel people is again, you've got the quarterback on a rookie contract. 
This is assuming that Richardson's the right guy. If he's not the right guy, then we're wasting our time talking because it doesn't matter. But when I watch some of the plays that these quarterbacks with, with mobility can make, you're thinking, boy, Richardson, I've seen him do that. I realize it was in a, in a small sample size. But there's, there's, no, there's no question. That's why it behooves these guys to somehow come to terms with, with Michael Pittman, however you want to do it. And we can get Rick Venturi on here, and he'll go crazy the other way because he makes very, very good points. But but they, they've boxed them into this is our guy. This is one of our guys moving forward because we don't have – well, if we let him walk, we've got this. No, they don't have this. So, but but even even bringing Michael Pittman back, which they will in either tag or a contract, they need another guy. They need a two. They need they need another guy that you're going to get sixty, seventy catches from and a thousand yards and six or seven touchdowns. They need that tight end, and they need my goodness help in the secondary to where they can make plays. That's what the league is. It's about Playmakers, it's difference makers, and you get, you've got to have guys that get, you know, make make the, the Grover Stewarts, and, and I'm not going to dismiss the Forrest Buckner at all because he's he's top top drawer, but you need guys who make the shock plays, and you make you make the normal plays, and then when it comes time, you make the special plays, and they don't have enough of those. They they just don't. Mike Chappell of Fox 9 and CBS 4 is our guest. Mike, you brought up the rookie contract, and people point to that when fans, analysts, whatever, when there's a rookie quarterback there on a team-friendly contract and you feel like he is your guy, you take big swings, you empty out as much of your cap space you possibly can, whether it's a narrative or, I would argue, at times there's plenty of evidence to back it up. Will Chris Ballard be willing to do that? Is there a sense that this is the year where they're willing to leave it all behind in terms of money that's allocated for the season and go and reach whatever heights they need to to do exactly what you're talking about because they get playmakers either way. They go do it in the draft or they go try to get it in free agency. But on the latter of those two, it's the dedication to go out and take big swings. Do you feel that there is a sense around the front office that's going to happen this year? I think there'll be more. I don't think they're going to go – crazy what year was it with the andre johnsons and all those guys was that 14 or 15 i get my years mixed up they're not going to go over the top crazy but but i think that there are because you, you have to plan on you get to pay bernard ryman left tackle money in a couple of years if, if you believe he's the guy so you still have to budget or not budget but you have to plan for the future but th- this is when this is when you have Opportunities, you know, and again, however you do, Michael Pittman, he's going to count twenty million minimum, bare minimum, uh, against the cap. And it, this may be more cash than you, you can you can make the cap sing if you want to, but you need to have, you know, today's NFL is more about upfront money, bonuses, and players. Rightly so, they want to get there sooner rather than later. So uh, I think they're going to be more aggressive. They're not going to just say we've got X number of dollars. Let's go and spend it on a receiver, a tight end, a corner. But I do think, and we, when we talked to, to, to Chris Bowder at the end of the season, he did give us indication that, that they will be more selectively aggressive, I guess is maybe the word. They're not going to be stupid. You know, they're not going to be stupid because, again, you got to play in force. But for the next two or three years, you've got – You've got the wherewithal 
to put people around the quarterback, and this is all about the quarterback. It is. You know, you can't ignore the defense because the defense wasn't good enough. But my goodness, you have got to get people around the quarterback to, to allow him to do his job better. Again, another receiver to me is a must. It just is. Uh, and if you think of tight end, I saw one of the mock drafts has the Bowers kid, the tight end with the Georgia uh, as a first round pick. Maybe. Okay. You, know, you can talk me into that because we've seen how these tight ends are changing games. Uh but yeah, I, again, I, I think they will be more aggressive. I don't think they're going to go, you know, like like Jacksonville did one year where they just went crazy. Uh, they, they won the offseason Super Bowl, which never pans right. out. But I, I do think that they will be because because again, there's the Shane Steichen influence, and I think he he will say, "Hey, we really need this, we need that," and I think he'll they'll listen, and then they they will be closer with the quarterback. So you have you just can't wait. You you have to be smart with your investments, but I think they will be more aggressive in free agency. Yes, Mike Chapel is our guest. Chap, it's a copycat league. It always has been, right? Detroit a year ago. I'm not going to say they took a gamble by taking a running back of all positions in the top 15 picks, but they went athlete, right? And they went playmaker, and it paid off for them. And and does that? I guess influence Indianapolis's draft process where perhaps they go unconventional in this draft and even though we're sitting there saying like they they do need corner help etc could they say you know what we're just going athletes and we're going to take positions maybe even that we already have on our depth chart because we need to get more speed well they did that last year remember how all the guys they drafted were top of the the old quartile the top of the combine testing uh in that one year they, they took uh Pittman and, and Jonathan Taylor within yeah. whatever it was seven picks of each other so yeah there's no question and and Chris Ballard again mentioned this past off or in, in January they need to get more explosive uh you know I think they, they, they average like 6.8 yards on attempt throwing that's not good enough 10.9 yards on reception that's not good enough and Michael Pittman swears that uh, he, he he does have a deep threat in in his repertoire, but they just haven't really had ha- had the guy to, to do it. Well, that they will have with Richardson. So, but no, I I do think they'll do that again. Would, would they add a a top flight tight end? Maybe. I mean, again, we've seen, I got to go back to where we've seen how tight ends can change the game, and it goes beyond Kelsey and Kittle. There's a lot of these guys. So yeah, I think so. I I think they always err on the side of athletes, whether whether it's a Jelani Woods or people like that, they really, really like those. Uh, so I, I, I do think that'll be the case. Now, at some point, they have got to address the secondary. They do. The, the, the corners were young and were growing pains, and, and maybe Juju Brents and Jalen Jones are, are the foundation. If you, if you re-sign Kenny, you know, the safeties need help. But, yeah, this is – this is such an offensive league, and you have got to add some pop to the offense, and I think they certainly will try to do that. Either, in the, yes, in the draft, but the draft doesn't, isn't a cure-all, so you're going to have to do that in free agency as well. You know, Mike, I've asked you this probably 20 times, so I'll make it 21 for those sure. that might not have heard the previous 20. Um, do we know yet, in your mind, you've watched a lot of football, man. You've seen a lot of young quarterbacks come through here, you know, Everything from Jeff George, Chris Chandler, Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, 
a wide array. And I guess the two-part question would be, do we definitively know that Richardson can be the guy? And if we don't, is it strictly because you haven't seen enough of him yet? No, we don't know. And yes, because we haven't seen he, he, Again, he had four starts. And if you factor in his playing time, he played three games. He played three, 173 snaps. That's three games because he missed the second half at was it Tennessee and, and Houston. But boy, what you saw, you just really liked. Uh, and if he stays on the field, yes, I think I think he can be the guy. The staying on the field's a big issue. Again, I can. I, I'm not to where I say he's injury prone because I can explain away the injuries. The concussion was just being being youthfully stupid by not running through the end zone. And uh, the, the sh- shoulder injury, he fell wrong. How many times we see the quarterback get tackled and he gets up? Well, this one, they, they fell wrong. But but every time he goes down now for the for, for next year, it's going to be, did he get up? But I think we saw more than enough. Again, when I saw Jackson or Mahomes or even Purdy, when the play breaks down, what the quarterback can do with his legs, we saw more than enough of Richardson to where he can he can do that. And, and the idea of, of, of him being the quarterback when Taylor runs for 188 yards, I mean, what kind of damage would they have done if the quarterback was even remotely productive that day, which which Minshew wasn't in that in that game. So, yeah, but again, the, the small sample size, is, it, it, it's totally legit to worry about. But, you know, it, it's kind of crazy. I, I think Richardson's kind of between C.J. Stroud, who – you, you saw what this guy is going to be. And Bryce Young, where you have no clue, none, what he's going to be. I think Richardson showed enough in three games that if he can stay on the field, he can lead this team for the next six, eight, ten years. You know, he is still young enough, Mike, speaking of Anthony Richardson with Mike Chapel here, he is still young enough as Anthony Richardson to instill in him kind of or, or direct him on which way you want to go with him. And – do you believe that they will – he is such an elite athlete, obviously, but yet when you look at, like, say, Lamar Jackson, and I think Lamar Jackson's tremendous, don't get me wrong, right? But, but like, look at Brock Purdy. Purdy can run, but they only use Purdy to run necessarily when plays are breaking down and then he breaks down a defense by, by turning right. to his legs. They don't rely on that, right? Will they – Will they scale back a little bit how much they utilize Richardson's legs and not design run plays for him, but rather even maybe to protect him, simply condition him because it's still early enough to do so to utilize his legs only to extend plays? No, I don't. I, I would be surprised if, if they cut it back that much because part of what makes him who he is is that he can run that RPO and and he don't and he might keep it. And, and get you 15. And, and then when he gets outside, then he's got to realize when enough's enough and when to protect himself. And it, it might almost be easier when he's out around the edge and running through through some space to protect himself as opposed in the pocket. Or I still think the one against Tennessee was kind of fluky the way they fell on him. I, I just, yes, they'll, I, think, I think what they'll try to do is, is make him smarter. Again, run through the end zone because these guys – if they can, they're going to light you up, and 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 that was totally a clean hit uh, in in Houston. 
But I just think they, they knew who this guy was when they drafted him. They knew what his game was. And I, I think I think uh, Jackson's done a better job of protecting himself when he's out in the open and when to go down. Now, Josh Allen, I don't think he's really learned a whole lot. I think he still puts his body at risk. So I, I just don't – if I'm reading you right, I just don't think you're going to curtail Richardson back to where, oh, hey – Run when the play breaks down, but we're not going to have design runs. No, I still think they're going to have design runs. And in the red zone around the, the goal line or the 10-yard line, he's going to be really, really good uh, putting a threat on the defense. So it'll be some balance, but I think the balance is still going to be let this guy run, and he, that's going to be part of their offense, but be smart when you do it. The Dean Mike Chapel of Fox 59 and CBS4 is our guest. If you're not already, you should. You can follow him on Twitter at mchapel 51 But outside of the Colts' coverage... When there is local or statewide success, chap, and I've brought this up to you before, I love it. I know your followers love it. We get the cute little raccoon clapping in celebration <laughs> after big games. There were multiple <laughs> raccoon gifs, 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 whatever you want to do, utilized this weekend. Is that a record? Is that, it felt like yeah, the, the, at least the five in the last was, 24 hours. The raccoon was complaining of overuse. <laughs> but when you throw Butler in Indiana State and, and the Pacers, Pacers, the Pacers are wearing his ass out. They really are. <laughs> hey, but, how about Indiana yeah, State, man? How about start... the trees? Trees? Indiana State, the sycamores. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm just going to be stuck on the, the raccoon. I, but the, I tell you, they're, they're playing well. I, I think know. they're fun. The, the, the ones that wear me out are the Pacers. I, I, it, they're fun to watch. And, and I can't remember a team that works so hard to get open three three-point looks. I mean, you know, drive in, thing, kick out, and all this. And, but, God, when they're going down, when they hit, I don't know, 40% of their threes, they're tough to beat. So, yeah, it, it, the, the raccoon will go as long as, as people will, 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 will take them, and we'll see where it goes. All right, chap. So here's my last question for you then along the, the fun sport of the raccoon. I don't think I've ever asked you this, and I hope I don't embarrass you by saying this, yep. but um, you wear shorts a lot, and you have – is it a stingray tattoo? Yeah, from uh, from uh, Stingray City and the Green Caymans. So what I, that's what I was going to ask you is what is the what is the significance of the tattoo itself? There has to be a story behind it. No, just when you know I was young and I wouldn't say stupid. We we went to Stingray Island, which is if you if you've ever been to Stingray Island and the Green Caymans, uh, you're swimming with stingrays. And we got home. I thought you know I just I'll just because my. My son-in-law is a big body piercer. Well, I'm not doing that. I'm not. I, he, he's offered. It's really funny. He's offered to get his mom a body piercing on her birthday, and she says, "Well, first, no, and second, if I get one, you're not doing it." Right. I, Needless I just to say, decided, I decided to get one, and you know, I'm not getting my daughter's got tattoos and you know, ears pierced and all that stuff. I just thought, well, let's just. This has been probably 20 years ago. I don't know. So. It's the only one I've got. It's the only one I'll have. Did it hurt? You know, oh, it, I mean, you feel it. You know, it's it's funny. I'm going into uh, I've had issues with my. I had a back surgery, and part of my PT, they're doing this dry needling. Have you ever had dry needling? No. It, it's kind of like acupuncture, I guess, but they put these needles in your back, and then you hook it up to a Tim's unit, and it feels pretty good. <laughs> and I had the guy. I said, I said, show me the needle because I I hate needles. I. When I when I have blood work done, I never. Oh, I know it's terrible. It's I, the worst. I, I can't do it. He said, "Yeah, this is a needle. It was pretty long." I said, "Well, how far do you put it in?" I thought you just kind of prick the skin. God, it goes in like three inches. 
Yeah, okay. no, yeah, don't. I don't want to see any. Yeah, I'd have to it. see the needle after afterwards because if you show it to me before, no way, right? Yeah, just that's why fortune's in the back. I, I just I'm a wuss, but that's you know that's man's got to know his limitations. I am chap. I've always said I will never get a tattoo for one reason and one reason only, and that is I can still never rule out the possibility that I might someday be a fugitive of the law. And they, and they locate you by your tattoo, huh? That's exactly right. Yeah, I saw I, I saw that scorpion running down the street. Yeah, I didn't see that. <laughs> That's exactly right. Chap, we appreciate it. As all. Oh, actually, last thing I need to ask you. I'm sorry. I buried the lead okay. here. Um, just to fairness to our listeners, even though I've got a sure. pretty good feeling the way that the answer is going to go, um, is there any update or news or, I guess, actually anticipation of when we might get an update from the Colts regarding the health of Jim Irsay? No, and, and you know we, we get we get tips at the station all the time, and which is good and it's bad. I mean, tips are just somebody picking up the phone, and you know we, we we we've gotten tips, and if we if we had anything we could verify, we would go with it. But you just can't if you, if you're a reputable news area, you can't do it. No, uh, I hope that when we get an update, it's good news. I just do. I'm, you know, because again, it, this is where it gets kind of personal. I, I'm, I, I consider Jimmy a good friend. We've been through a lot together, through 40 years. Uh, no, I. The bottom line, no. And you hear things, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's not so good. But we'll keep keeping good thoughts. All right, appreciate it, Mike. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Next week, talk to you guys. All right. Next, next week, Mike Chapel on each Monday, breaking down uh, the NFL, and it'll be good stuff too, because we'll be a week away from previewing the Super Bowl and everything. That goes into that. We'll continue on here on a Monday. You are listening to Quarian Company 93.5107.5 The Fan. Eddie Garrison is the CEO of the company and has been quite busy dipping into his Rolodex and aligning for us a number of different guests, notably over from Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Eddie, we've got uh, a flurry of Pacers activity coming up here over the next couple of days with them being in Boston tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they're in, I believe, New York. Is that right? That is correct. They play Boston Tuesday night. Then they play the New York Knicks Thursday night. Quick turnaround. They are back home Friday nights. And with that, we have uh, different players that have been potentially lined up, correct? Yeah, it looks likely we will have Aaron Neesmith tomorrow. His ties, of course, with the Boston Celtics came over here in that Malcolm Brogdon trade. Looks possible that Tyrese Halliburton could be playing in that game tomorrow night for Indiana. And if so, we... We'll possibly have him on Wednesday's show. After first time he's really spoken since going down with that injury, being selected as an all-star starter, and then Thursday, potentially Ben Shepard as well. And I know you two have talked a lot about him as of lately. He's gotten a lot of minutes lately, right? And his energy level is kind of what you need, right? He just goes out there and um, kind of raises the game for everybody. Neesmith, I, you know, no secret, I'm a fan of Neesmith, right? Love the way he plays, love the energy that he brings. Um one of the things I want to ask about, uh, ask Tyrese Halliburton, have you guys been, you always want to see him on the floor, but you know, he's a fashion guru. Some of the, some of his outfits have been totally on the mark and others he's missed the mark. He had on the West Coast trip, and we tried to do Google searches to find it, but he had this lime green I, jacket. Like, it almost looked like a like a it looked raincoat, like a raincoat yeah. right? And I was I was fascinated by it. I don't know if I had distaste for it or if I liked it, but it was it, it kept drawing my attention because they'd pan over to him and he'd be running off the bench in this just green raincoat. His recent trend has been fedoras and hats, mm. and I don't know why. Now he had 
He had one outfit, which I really liked, where he had like a little um, kind of a British racing cap mm. with um, round glasses and then a sweater vest. And he looked like um, a 1930s newspaper boy. Like he looked like he would be outside Madison Square Garden selling like extra, extra newspapers. Hey, after says heavy- win their fifth straight. Right. Read all about it. Yeah, <laughs> That's exactly, exactly that. Yeah. It's yeah. exactly yep. what he looked like. Yep. Then he had on, um, he had on a, a pair of, now this is the thing, I guess, with NBA players, maybe young people in general, the, the like extremely f- wide pants now. That's a thing, right? We've gone from tight jeans to like the widest pants possible. It's an ebb and flow. You know, he, um, what what game was it? It would have been actually it was the game because Holder was with me against Phoenix, and he had on did Tyrese Halliburton these pants that his jacket was kind of a lavender jacket with gold trim to it, and and then he had on these pants that were flared all the way out. They almost looked like a dress, kind of. Did you see it? Did you see the outfit? Because it looked like he might have stolen the outfit from somebody we know, as a matter of fact. Okay. As a matter, it, matter of fact, I think he came in here because he wanted to, to ask if we've seen this. That's a bit <laughs> embarrassing. He's underdressed. <laughs> that is right. Yes, I'm Robin the Genie. Robin, you, you, I mean, honestly, like, look at you right here. Like, you're, you're embarrassing yourself. You're wrapped in a towel. <laughs> uh, yes, my outfit I left near Cambridge Fieldhouse. Have you seen it by chance? Yes, Tyrese Halliburton was wearing it. That's what I'm telling you. So not only are we scheming folks on the money side of things, Robin, but we're also just leaving clothes all willy-nilly all over the place. I made sure as a result he missed one more game than expected. (laughs) Okay, well, if Tyrese Halliburton is back, I guess uh, we can give Robin his clothing back and then Tyrese Halliburton can return to the playing floor, right? Uh, But that's one of the things I'm going to ask him about. If we have him on, I'm going to ask him about his clothing. I think you should. I mean, is you it, should ask him about where he got. The, I'm going to ask the green jacket because it kind of was. Cool. It was a. It was when they were in Utah, I think, right? Or no? It was in I thought Phoenix. it was the Phoenix. It was in game. Phoenix because I remember game. thinking to yes. myself, "You're in Phoenix, so you need neither a jacket nor a rain one, right? <laughs> yes. You're in the desert. Yes. But it was kind of cool looking. It was like the the color was unique. It popped, Jake. It definitely popped. There was a there was a there was a sense of flair. It definitely about that popped. jacket. That is but, indeed correct. By the way, I want to give a little bit of shout out because. For those that don't know, and if you have an opportunity to, like the Manits are a fun team to watch. We talk about Ben Shepard, Jairus Walker. We've seen them down there a time or two, but Oscar Shibway's gotten a love, lot of love this year, and he continues to do so. Part of NBA All-Star Weekend is the NBA G League Up Next game, which features a number of different players around the G League. Oscar Shibway gets the nod there, so shout out to him. I'd like to know, He'll do you have to have All-Star the rosters Weekend. of that? I wonder how many guys are in that in the Up Next game that... You know, we'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. I don't know which team they're on, but I do have some there, of the players. How many names are you familiar with? Six. Okay. Five. And Romeo Langford is not one, correct? That is correct. Romeo Langford is in the G League, if I'm not mistaken. He is... How many players from Indiana are you know are in the G League? Is it just at this point? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. It's a good question. Langford may be it right now. You know the um, Colin Gillespie is the biggest name that I like from a college name that I remember. That's now in the G League. He's a part of the that All Star Up Next game. 
Romeo Langford is playing for Salt Lake City in the G League. He has played in eight games. He has started six of them. And he is averaging 1.4 assists. Uh, 1.4, no, I'm sorry, three rebounds. So three rebounds, one assist, and 10.5 points per game. The Luca Garza also a part of the really all star. Oh yeah, he's a monster in the G League. (laughs) He's a monster. But but how old is Luca Garza? (laughs) Like he's not up next. He's like you know what I mean. Been there, (laughs) right? He's in the been there game, right? Uh, Luca Garza is twenty five. Okay, same age as me. Now we were sitting there, Holder and I, during the Pacers Phoenix game on Friday night. Indiana with a big win Friday night. They followed that up with a, an impressive win yesterday against Memphis because even though the Grizzlies are down and even though Desmond Bain didn't play um, and John Morant's obviously out. It's a gritty, ugly game. Yeah, and, and you had no T.J. McConnell. Mm-hmm. You had no Miles Turner. You had no Tyrese Halliburton, and yet they find a way to get it done, right? And against Phoenix, you had Devin Booker with a record, the most points scored by an NBA player against Indiana in the city of Indianapolis. George Gervin, previously the record, 55 points, but that was in Market Square. The 54-point mark of Giannis earlier this year was the Gambridge Fieldhouse record for an opponent, and he shattered that. And Holder and I, Stephen Holder's there, and we're sitting there at the game, and I asked this question. How many games does an NBA team win if the entire roster was nothing but Kentucky players? Active Kentucky players like yes. right now? Yes. I think it's a playoff team. Uh, it, it's 60 wins, right? Yeah. I, I I think if you assembled everybody, regardless of which conference, you're looking at a top three team in, in either side. I, of the I mean, think about who's your starting five? Devin Booker, Anthony Davis off the top. Uh, Darren Fox. Okay. The crazy thing, Jamal Murray, did you say him? I did not say Jamal Murray. Man, you're man, you can play small okay. and then Anthony. How Davis. about this? You ready? Bam out of Bayou. Mm, I forgot about Bam. Devin Booker, Anthony Davis, De'Aaron Fox, Shea Gilgis Alexander. Tyler Hero. Got Anthony some shooting Davis. Out there. Tyler Hero. Oh man. Isaiah Jackson. Did you mention Anthony Davis? Anthony yep. Davis. I mean, Emmanuel quickly. Keldon Johnson, Tyrese Max, Julius Randle. Emmanuel Man. quickly, yeah. I take it back. Yeah, you're you're a one seed. You say Carl Anthony Towns, right? Yep. yep. PJ Washington. I mean, Trey Lyles isn't even seeing the floor, right? <laughs> no, he's not. And he's a, he's a nice player, but I mean, good lord. Well, it, it just it, it speaks again. I know this is tough for all fans in this state, but especially IU fans. But it it just speaks to the factory of NBA talent that is no question consistently but, churned but out. But here's the there. funny thing about it. Sure. And look. I hate Kentucky. Same. So I grew up in Indiana. I went to IU. I, I watched Kentucky beat Indiana by 40-something at Freedom Hall in the mid-90s. I mean, but and I hate Kentucky. But I love the rivalry. I loved the Indiana-Kentucky games. And, but I have huge respect for John Calipari, not just as an assembler of talent, mm-hmm. but as a mesh of person, the way that he can intertwine personalities and get guys to buy in and kind of set their egos aside. But what's, and I think he's a wonderful coach. And I think Kentucky is obviously 
the creme de la creme. I, I, I get it. But what's interesting is, of all those players I just mentioned, and I mean, granted, the majority of them were one and dones. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, a lot of those guys, you're like, man, I totally forgot about that guy. Yeah. But same number of, I mean, how many titles in the last 20 years? One? Yes. Same number as, you know, I guess not even Connecticut, right? I mean, the point being, you would think that they would have, I think Kentucky offers a blueprint in a lot of areas, one of them being, the, the it's one thing to go out and five-star shop. But when you five-star shop, you then have to bring players back and and mold them. I think Indiana, Purdue has has intentionally like avoided the five-star shop for the most part because Matt Painter has done a fabulous job of saying, that guy might not be a five-star at AAU, but he's a five-star for what we need. Yeah, we're going to develop him into it. Correct. Yeah. Purdue's done a masterful job of that mm-hmm. and, and deserves huge credit. Indiana's gone five star shopping and like well, we're just going to get like McKenzie Abaco Duke just turned turn turn him loose well, let's get him Khalil Ware Oregon threw in the towel on him let's get him he's a five star he must be great and those guys are great players but I don't know that they've meshed yet Indiana hasn't figured out how to mesh them and how to build them into teams and into rosters and they're glaringly missing complementary pieces like high level guard totally. play, right and I think with Calipari and Kentucky. There are years that they're five-star shopping. They get pieces that by the time March rolls around, you're like, you know what? They might have been like, you know, eight and four in November, but look out. Here they come. And and somebody better knock them out because if they, they put yeah. it all together here, they're going to be really good. Yeah. And then there are other years where it just – where they're – like the 2012 the, – the, the Anthony Davis year, you can tell right away. Yeah. Okay, it's working right now, right? Yes. But my point being, when you are gambling on or investing on like the five that level player, you literally are playing from one year to the next, kind of roulette. You just don't know yeah. how it's going to work out. And 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 the problem that like for Indiana right now is, I think if you're trying to get a program up and going, and you're reliant too much on that, you just know like this year, Indiana fans have punted on it. Indiana's punted yeah, on it. Yeah. Indiana fans are like you know what, we're not going to make the tournament this year. So. The, Hallelujah! The women are ranked tenth. They're seventeen and two, and we'll pay attention to that. And when soccer season start, and, and that's foreign territory to an extent for Indiana. They're just not used to that. But I mean, it is amazing to look at those Kentucky players, and then you look at it and you go, "Well, I guess they go to Final Fours, right?" Yeah. I mean, there's a balance to it when you're playing that game of, as you mentioned, a roulette style roster year over year. You're based on rankings, which often don't translate to the type of player that a guy is going to be at the next level when you play the five-star shop, as you mentioned. If you're going to play it that way and have a five-star too, you need balance with other players that maybe are three-stars or four-stars, but guys, you can develop kind of like what Purdue has done year over year, which is why this is unpopular for the Indiana fan right now, but I'm not fully out on what Mike Woodson in Indiana can be but I am out on this season. And those are not... I think a lot of people are, man. And and that's fine. Like, those aren't mutually exclusive. Just because it's a down year doesn't mean you have to be out on what Woodson is. Maybe some IU fans are. That's fine. But, I mean, it's clear at this stage, and Jake, we said it last week, they would have to fundamentally change what they are as a team this year to have any shot of sniffing the NCAA tournament. Uh, This from Colleen, by the way, CFO of the company. So, we've. I mean, we got to adhere, right, to Mm -hmm. Colleen? Absolutely. Uh, Jake, by the way, 
you do need a raincoat occasionally in Phoenix. I was there for the Colts game a year ago this past Christmas. I spent five days in Phoenix, and it rained every single day. So just thought I'd let you know, don't make too much fun of Tyrese Halliburton. Hey, I ain't going to make fun of Tyrese Halliburton if he's going to come on the show. You know what I mean? But we, but, but I am going to ask him about the I was the fascinated by it. It was less poking fun and more just I was fascinated by the jacket itself. Uh, Miller Cop also in the G League, apparently. Mm. Is he? Miller Cop. Yes, he's with Oklahoma City's G League team. Uh, Miller Cop had a sweet little uh, dog that he was walking one time when Kevin and I had him on in the morning show, and unfortunately, I believe the dog no longer with us. Tragically passed away of an illness. Miller Cop. That was the last I heard of him was when he was updating on the the uh, the sweet dog. Well, that was, a just strong, that was a strong close. You like that? <laughs> That's yeah. That's all I know about Miller Cop. <laughs> Uh, JMV, by the way, just walked in. We'll hand it off to him, and we'll discuss a few things with him. We'll do it on the other side. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, all NBA. We will take the San Antonio Spurs, turn the money line over the Washington Wizards. Also going to take the Los Angeles Clippers, turn the money line on the road against the Cleveland Cavaliers. JMV's here, so you know what time that means. It means we're scooping some points. We'll scoop the three. The Suns are three-point dogs on the road against Miami. Scoop the three for the Heat, or for the Suns. Eddie, do you have anything? No bets for Eddie. Those are your plays of the day. Got a scoop. Got a scoop when John's here. By the way, JMV, uh, speaking of scooping, have you checked our Twitter mentions, John? I uh, have not. We've both been scooped by Sarah on Sarah. Twitter. Yeah, oh, Sarah. have we? I love Sarah. Sarah just responded to a tweet uh, that tags both of us. Yeah. Uh, she says she has a far better gift in her bio link. <laughs> with, oh, that's Sarah. <laughs> Wrong Sarah. Oh. With a, <laughs> well, I'm, a, I'm with ready to unwrap that With a photo that pre- for you there to un- I'm unveil. I'm ready to unwrap that present. Let's <laughs> <laughs> unwrap it. We, we, we go through waves of the- I'm thinking uh, of the different Sarah right here. The, the, the porn bots, right? Huh? So, yeah, the porn bots. That's become more prominent, has it not, since uh, the new uh, guidance. Yeah, it's unreal. X. Social media. How was Miles today? Uh, He was good. Miles Turner uh, saying earlier today that he expects to play in Boston. And, you know, one of the questions, John, that I thought was interesting, I asked him, I said, and I was almost embarrassed to ask it. And I said, what percent of the time are you guys actually running a set play? And he said, that's actually not a dumb question. Now, did you hear? You you didn't hear the answer. I know you had something to do earlier. Um, What percent of the time do you think he said? Um, 25. He said 15 to 20% of the time. Yeah. You know, and it surprises me because you would think Rick Carlisle would be a stickler on I that. I know. And he said, Very you know what? He said, basically everybody in the league runs the same stuff. We yeah. just call it different stuff. Right. I'm assuming he probably is talking about how everything kind of morphs into something different. And especially when you got somebody out there like Halliburton, I mean, you, you can't have your, your thumb on right. the playbook. Well, and that's the other thing like is, that, so. you know, I was curious is it always the same player that calls that? Like when they decide, in that 20%, is yeah. it the same guy that's calling out the play or is Carlisle sending it to just somebody that happens to have the ball right then? You know, how that all works. It's pretty fascinating to me. But, uh, but anyways, great Coming conversation. Coming out of timeouts, right? Coming out of timeouts, yeah, probably yeah. the only time. That's like think. the 15 to 10%, right? Coming out of timeout situations where they're actually calling for something. That's when you, you know, or you draw up with shot clock situation to play for, for somebody. And that's what, so. you know, George Hill once told me was the, the, real challenge with Lance Stevenson was he would kind of go rogue from what oh, they yeah. were trying to do. Yeah. Uh, so you've got Chad Buchanan on today, right? Chad Buchanan, yeah. See, everybody else on this station has had breaking pacer news but me. 
Well, you so, might be able to break something, right? I'm going to uh, I'm going to push Chad to break something for me. You <laughs> <laughs> better if he breaks a pencil. Chad's, would that, Chad's would that suffice? kid is really good, right? At Westfield, yeah. Is that what is I he think, a senior? His kid's there, and then isn't Ballard's kid also at Westfield? Ballard's kid is at Kansas now. He was the quarterback at Westfield, and then Richardson's brother. Yeah, Richardson's brother is up. There. Okay, yeah. where where was? Hilton's son was Zionsville, right? Zionsville. Yeah. Okay. So, does anybody know Buchanan's kid? I think is really good because I think Buchanan was really good. He played in Iowa, where those dudes go up and down the floor like crazy. I mean, they just run a fast break, fast break. I don't. I mean, I'm sure I like him because he's never played defense. There's no way they play defense in <laughs> Iowa. So, it, um, but no, I heard his kid is really good. I want to get up there and play. A now, speaking of Iowa, we were talking about this earlier. Caitlin Clark. Yep. At Iowa. Her boyfriend is one of the McCaffreys that works for the Pacers, yeah. right? Connor? Yep. So they are so the fever are hoping that Caitlin Clark decides to forego her final year of eligibility and enter the WNBA draft because the fever had the number one pick, right? <laughs> Do you think they have told the McCaffrey fellow that he cannot break up with her until after the like what if what would happen if he comes <laughs> in and he's like, you know what, we broke up and it was kind of Well, how much money up. do you think's on the line here compared to let's just say you don't you do draft her? And she's a part of it compared to if you don't. Regardless, and there's nothing against anybody else in that draft. Oh. But the monetary figure I, for the WNBA John, they, has they to be astronomical. They would sell out games yes, with her, right? It has to be. Yeah. I would be. It's like all hands on deck right here. Yeah, not only can you not break up with her, but listen, you better be getting stuff. You better be. <laughs> you better abide. You better be doing totally. everything. I mean, everything that Jimmy doesn't do when he watches football. Amen and, to that. <laughs> I mean, and then what What if he takes a job with another franchise? Oh, I'm, that I'm, I'm, I'm I mean, sorry, sir. You can't. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's the only video coordinator like making two and a half million a year. They can right? turn purple in the face like his dad does whenever he gets a bad call. Seriously. I mean, but, and I will admit, I mean, there, she is a... I mean, she and herself is just, she's making how much right now in NIL? Like $3 million? Probably. Probably. Yeah. More than she would be easily in the WNBA I, based on just salary. But here's the thing NIL you would alone. assume that all that follows right, her, right? Enforcement, right. That's, that's what people gloss over, but I'm with you. You would think that those dollars still transfer because she would be doing those deals due to her popularity. Especially in Iowa. She's like, you know, Taylor Swift rock star like in Iowa. Yeah, oh, I, mean, that's I know. What it's like. I mean, so. the high, like the, the Iowa IndyCar race, which is sponsored by Hy-V. Yeah. She's a spokesperson for Hy-V, oh, which yeah. is a grocery store chain there. Love that. And, and she was at the race, and I mean, it was like Beatlemania. I thought Hy-V was going to open down here around yeah, remember that? Whitesville or Zionstown. It, it's never they happened. I like that up there because they fight. Whitestown and Zionsville fight about the borders. Oh, really? Yeah. So they do. They don't like one another. The, well, evidently but i thought high v was going to be up there somewhere. oh they, they had like a huge matter of fact i remember at one of the indycar races they had me doing a thing on a stage with like the ceo of high v and Ooh, the yeah. whole conversation was about that yep about how excited they were to how come do you judge your grocery store jake that's a good question um cleanliness probably I, I, I don't know if you know this or not i love grocery stores my my me dream too. job john when i retire i'm going to go out to wyoming and open iga <sighs> the independent Grocers Association. I love IGA. They I always have the great delis. Great deli. I always oh, judge it by the yeah. pasta salad. If you pick up the pasta salad and there's not a lot of like you know, Italian dressing in the bottom yeah, of yeah, it, yeah. then you go, yep, this is a good place. That's um, how I judge it. Well, okay. I like any grocery store that has a deli where they'll make you a sandwich. 
I love now, I will tell you this. Song. I went. To, I'm not going to say the name of. There's a place locally in town on the north side that does that. And I went in and I said, "Can I get a turkey sandwich made?" And the guy said, "And I quote, well, I would, but we're out of bread." And I'm like, "Well, there's an entire aisle right behind yeah, me right here. There. Can you grab a loaf? <laughs> I mean, like, can you not just take one from grab aisle twelve, please?" So Very you had strange. Miles on today. Good for you, yep. man. Neesmith tomorrow. That is Get correct. A big week for this show. We are right uh, here. doing what in. we can, right? You doing got it, buddy. All right, so Chad Buchanan up next with John. We will be back with you tomorrow at noon. Aaron Neesmith is scheduled to join us tomorrow. Stephen Holder as well. Thanks for listening on this Monday to Aquarian Company here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.